Dark Shadows Literary Licensed Podcast Episodes. Ben Stokes here, exploring all things Collinsport, Maine, and following the likes of the Collins family, and the friends and foes, with your co-hosts, Tom Diamond, Jesse Fultz, Mickey Ray, and Keith Chalgo, Collins family, story about blood relations, literally. Welcome to Literary License Podcast in this Dark Shadows Week. We'll be covering episodes from December 1969 to January 1970. And those episode numbers are 894 to 940. And before we get started, let's find out who's with us. We got Tom Downing with us. Hello, Tom. Hello, everybody. And it's a pleasure to be with you again. And I hope you are going through the honeymoon period, uh, the honeymoon period with COVID. Uh, because uh, I know everybody is thrilled to be out and about again. Just please stay safe uh, for further e- episodes. Thank you again for having me, Keith. And we got Vicky Ray. Hello, Vicky. Hi, guys. What's up? And I'm your host, Keith Shago. And before we get started, let's find out what we've been up to. Starting with you, Vicky, what have you been up to since last time we spoke to you? Since last time? Well, it's BMX and soccer season now. I'm yelling at more than one official <laughs> every weekend. But um, let me see. What did I? I found some really weird movies. I'm trying really hard to watch 2021 and 2022. I'm trying to put my prejudice aside. I did find one I liked. It was called Sauna. It was a German film. And you have to be really awake to watch because it's what you got. If you miss any of the subtitles, you're kind of fucked. So you got to watch it. It was really weird, but I, I think you'd like it. It's just something that I think you'd enjoy. It's it's kind of a slow burn, kind of weird, but it's one of those things that are really weird by the end and you don't get any closure. So that's why I know you like it. And then I watched Hellbender that was made in 2022. That was on, it was, I think, I think it was Amazon prime. I could be wrong. It might've been Netflix, but that was really good too. That was like, like the season of the witch kind of stuff where they're out in the middle of nowhere, but they're actually, they have to eat pine cones and things like that. They, they ingest anything from a fly to a worm, whatever they turn into superpower, which is, and they just start ingesting human beings, which is kind of cool. So I like that. <laughs> that was a 2022 film. And then there was um, killing of the sacred deer. I'm going to have to watch it again because I didn't get it because uh I can't figure out if the weird kid in the movie, is he psychic? Because I didn't see him poison anybody. So it had to be a curse of some sort, I'm thinking. You know, but I have to ask Matthew what he thinks. But and then um, they were talking about. Okay. And then the last one I had to rewatch because they were talking about it so much in that forum was Lizzie Borden, 1975 with Elizabeth Montgomery. Yeah, It was an excellent movie and I, I haven't seen it in decades. So I turned it on again. And, you know, for a TV movie, that was a little kind of whatever back then, you know, mm-hmm. with a little nod to incest, and a little nod to that and a little nod to this. You didn't do that in 1975 on TV, basically. So it was well, kind of ahead of its time for TV. Either. Huh? Pretty racy for Elizabeth Montgomery as well. For its time. Yeah, but I, very I really. Very different from The Witch. Very I thought it different. was a very. You know, when you think about all the new things, they actually did a good job with it. I mean, as far as keeping, you know, statistical things correct. But, you know, other than that, just hanging out with the family and planting tomatoes. Yay. 
and dodging tornadoes right. three days ago. Everything is just fabulous. Oh, God, that was a horrible thing to pass through Texas. I heard oh, there was damage. I know. After a while, it's like 930 at night. It's like, fuck it. If it gets me, it gets me. I'm just not bothering. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but that's what I've been up to. What about y'all? What about yourself, Tom? What have you been up to? Well, uh, a couple of things. So I went through the Star Trek Discovery, uh, the season four, which was uh, kind of slow at first, but it turned into a really good stuff, and especially the last episode. And they had uh, Stacey Abrams, who was a noted Star Trek I just fan. about died when I saw that. That was unbelievable. And, of course, Stacey Abrams is running for governor again in Georgia. And uh, Stacey Abrams is a known Star Trek fan and apparently can respond to any trivia question regarding all the Star Trek mythos. And there they were. And and I didn't even know that. And there they and there she came on talking with, uh, you know, the you know, uh, the main character. And uh, I thought that was uh, I thought that was really cool. And it just goes to show you that you have to have a political you have to have political connection to <laughs> get on there. I would have I loved to do that myself with the connection I have. But anyway, so there's that. There's Picard. Uh, I, saw, I didn't watch that. I heard it was really good. It is indeed coming, coming very good. So they go into an alternate. So they go into an alternate universe because of Q and uh, John Delancey uh, once again steps into the role with Ilana Panache. And, uh, you know, and, and so all I can say to the Star Trek fans is watch it. It's definitely look, uh, it's definitely, uh, seen. Um, the mystery, the marvelous Miss Maisel, which I have watched four, which I've watched eight episodes in the fourth season so far is fantastic. And, uh, I hope they come out with more. I have no idea what they're going to do with that, with that particularly. But uh, the uh, the female lead is fantastic, as well as the rest of the as well as the rest of the craft, as well as the rest of the crest, a cast. I am looking forward to Brave New Worlds, which is going to come in in May uh, with uh, original kind of Star Trek ethos episodes in terms of seasonal things, in terms of solving issues with uh, the. Uh, uh, Captain, um, with, with, with the, uh, with the, with the original Captain before Kirk. And, uh, that I think is going to be very else as well. It's going to be very good as well. Um, I have started to catch up on the Karate Kid movies, which I saw 35 years ago because there is a new series out called Cobra Kai. Which is currently in its fourth season, and it's been picked up for a fifth season. And if you're into that particular ethos, binge watched uh, all of it. What's that? <laughs> I binged it all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had seen it in thirty years, and quite frankly, I remember the first movie. But the second movie, which I'm going through now, is kind of interesting because it's kind of better than the first movie because it puts Miyagi into Japan uh, regarding his, uh, fight with a, with a former friend who got annoyed because he, because they both went over the same girl and he left. And, uh, of course there's Karate Kid 3. And then finally there is a, uh, new Karate Kid with, uh, with a, uh, with a one actor, uh, and I'm blanking out of it now and I'll probably remember it in an hour. Yep. Uh, It's Academy Award winner, Hillary Spike. Yeah. What's that? 
It's an Academy Award winner, Hillary yeah. Swank. Oh, God, did she get it for Million Hillary Dollar Swank, Baby? I, I was bawling at the end of Million Dollar Baby. I just could I, I won't watch it again because it upsets me so well, much. It's a great movie. She's won two Oscars. She won for that, and she also won for Boys Don't Cry, where she plays um, Tina. Thank you, Keith. Thank you, Keith. Brutally murdered. Yeah. yeah, I remember. I remember, and she's in the new Karate Kid, and that really didn't pick up. But now they have a Netflix series called Cobra Kai, which is four seasons, and it's been picked up for a fifth. And it's very, very interesting, and it has the original um, Karate Kid as well as the original uh, opponent that he faced, and in addition to uh, Crease, the uh, the the sob. That uh, trained uh, the evil versus good, so it's, it's, so that's very very interesting on Netflix, and I recommend your and I recommend you getting into it. Other than that, I've gotten a job offer with the Federal Service in the real world, and uh, I can't talk about it too much, but I will be doing personnel recruitment and placement for that. And I just got the word two days ago, so I'm very happy about that. And um, and and I will and, and I will divulge that my uh, my beloved Sharon will hopefully be on next month to for fifteen minutes so forth to talk about how she how I got her into dark shadows and uh, and, and her particular interest in it and she is a uh, a British uh, an English well they call it, she calls it English. I call it British gal from Yorkshire who, uh, who grew up in, um, who grew up in Turkey. And Turkey is the British Riviera, as Keith can probably attest to. And uh, so she will be on hopefully in April for 15 minutes of Keith's permission to talk about DS and how she got into it and so forth. That's what's going on with me, Keith. What's going on with you? Hey, Keith, before you get started, you going to watch Halo? Asher and me are gonna, wondering if you were going to watch that. Yeah, yeah, I'll watch it. I'm a huge game player, so I'm a gamer. I know. So. Asher's been waiting for Halo. I totally forgot about that. It's on Paramount Plus, so I just want to make sure that you knew about it over there, but you know all that shit. So. Yeah. Well, with myself, what I've been up to is I got COVID this week, so I've been... Y'all laughed at me two months ago. I've been working from home the whole time, so that's been a bit of a trip. He's the COVID queen this this month. I, I hope got you get over that. I had it in last January. It's nothing. To yeah, see but they're about. laughing about it when I had it. <laughs> you had it three times. You said you had it three times, Vicky. That's incredible. That's incredible. And here she is, living to talk about it. Yeah. That's a that, that's cake. a miracle. And then, as far as viewing goes, I've watched The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which is up for an Oscar. Oh, gosh, yes. I love it. It was awesome. Fantastic. Loved it. Excellent. That's on Disney+. She Plus. did such a good job. Um, and so did... Uh, what's his name? And then I watched the new uh, animation feature by Pixar called Big Red. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure I watched that. Yeah, it's basically about women menstruation, so, which is quite interesting. <laughs> is that what that was about? Yeah. No, psh, over my head. Oh my he god. and turns into this great big red animal. <laughs> oh my god. You tell me that's not what is it about because I do not want to have to explain this to my nine year old grandson. Because I liked it. I wanted to make sure I wasn't feeding my own dirty mind into it. I was like, okay, well. <laughs> Are you serious? I'm yeah. just that woke bullshit just sneaks in all the time. 
It's okay. I mean, it's okay. To me, it doesn't I live up it. to like Nemo or Up or some of the other ones, but it was okay. I mean, it was fine. Um, and then I watched, um, I'm back to, I'm rewatching Westworld at the moment, getting ready for the new series that will be out with uh, this summer. So get ready for that. Are they coming out for the fifth season? Yep, it'll be out on um, July. I didn't know they were coming out. I'm going to have to rewatch the fourth season because I'm way behind again. Uh, I started back from the beginning because that show, you need to know exactly what's yeah, going Yeah, I know. On. I'm lost. I guess I get, should start back in the first season. I, it was, I, got, I was really, really into first and second season. Mm-hmm. The first season was a little too much of a slow burn with the repetitiveness. That was making me crazy after a while. Well, I rewatched it now and the repetitiveness makes sense. Because the thing is, what happens is, because I was quite, you know, you know, it's not giving too much away, but when you watch it, the first episode, then you watch second episode, and they're redoing, they're playing the scene again, and yeah. all of a sudden, words. But slightly. it's different. Yeah, which means that they're getting consciousness. Yeah, so, I guess you know, that just back, makes me crazy. They do it so much. Yeah, but yeah, I'm really enjoying it. Um, I'm now joined a thing called um. Because April is going to be a big time with um, the doubling of bills and everything like that and gas prices and everything like mm-hmm. that. I've gone back. I've gone through and changed all my bills for cheaper for cheaper options. Yeah, same here. So, trimming the fat as well. Yeah, so I've been trimming that. And the good thing about it is I've gotten some great deals. I mean, um, I was paying 78, no, 82 pounds a month for just broadband alone. And then you got your TV mm-hmm. deal. Well, now with the new TV deal, I have, um, they gave me a 56 inch uh, ultra HD television with Sky, including broadband, free nice. telephone, we call free internationally around the world on your telephone. Nice. And, like that. and um, broadband, which has um, the super fast fiber, getting all that for a total of 59 pounds. I wish they'd come up with a better. I I use my smart TV for everything. I don't even use cable anymore. The boss is the king. The boss is the king. So if you're in the UK, I suggest that Sky Glass is the way you want to go. Very cool. Very, very cool. Um, And then what other viewing I've been seeing? I'm rewatching The Sopranos again. So I love the Sopranos. I love it. The only bad thing about the big telly, though, is like you see every crease and crevice of everyone's face. What's that? Because <laughs> I've been watching people going, "Oh my god, they look rough." <laughs> so, but um, but besides that, um, yeah, just watching this and that and things like that. But watching a lot of the Oscar films that are up and stuff like that, and see what that's all about. Considering the Oscars are this Sunday, aren't they? So I believe, yes. Oh. So. There's well, just nothing like, I want to watch that we're on. Well, don't look. Just look up. It was just that was the only thing I think I watched. Plus, what was the other one? The um, I think will probably win is the uh, country movie. Oh, oh I, I saw that. I know what you're talking about. That was good. I like that. I like the eyes of Tammy Faye. And I also, um, I is also, that up for an Oscar? Is that really? Yeah, I yeah. hope they get it. That was just fantastic. You either loved it or you hated it, but I loved it. I even love the Netflix uh, movie Tick, Tick, Boom, which is bloody fantastic. I highly recommend it. So, mm-hmm. Which is about the story of Jonathan Larson. He wrote a musical before he wrote Rent, basically no about his life. And uh, by the way, the next Harry Potter film, next Harry Potter film is coming out uh, April 15th, The Secrets of Dumbledore, 
which uh, goes into the uh, the uh, the character who took the uh, wizardry stuff to America, and that is probably the third film uh, based on that. And that's going to be on, and that's going to be in the movies. I'm not sure whether it's going to be streaming, but it is certainly something to look forward to. Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two? Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. Each episode is a separate three-hour-long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So, join us on a real play D&D quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens podcast. Fantasy, action, mystery, friendship. So before we cut to um, Tom's segments, um, bloopers, and what's been going on in the dark shadows world behind the scenes, just want to remind our listeners to make sure they vote for the Rondo Awards, which you can find yes. at www.rondoaward.com, which will give you a full listing. Now, if you don't want to do that and you like to take a nice shortcut and vote for us, you can vote for Best Podcast, which is for the Literary Lessons Podcast, Best Interview for the Don Briscoe Interview. Um, our, and um, I guess you can vote for myself if you want to for best horror host. And if you want to just do that, you can send an email to Terraco, that's T-A-R-A-C-O at AOL.com and just put in your um, put in your um, bid and your voting for that. Or alternatively, if you want to see a full listing, please go to www.rondoawards.com. And we'd like to thank all our people who are not been nominated with us. We want to wish them the best of luck and make sure you put your votes in because every vote counts. So what we're going to do now is cut to Tom's segment and we'll be right back to discuss Dark Shadows. Hello, everybody. Tom Diamond here and welcome once again to another episode of the Dark Shadows Retrospective, this time covering episodes... 894 to 940. The first thing I do want to mention before we go into anything else is uh, the unfortunately, well, I'm going to say untimely passing, although he lived a long life, of Mitch Ryan a few weeks ago, who played Burt Devlin uh, during the first year of Dark Shadows. And uh, he developed a loyal fandom. And uh, we're all sorry to hear about it here uh, at, on the uh, podcast, and I did mention it uh, during the podcast, although we had a lot to cover today. But uh, Mitch Ryan's presence will be missed. I think one of his last performances was uh, doing the Dark Shadows Christmas Carol uh, with uh, Catherine Ray Scott and a whole host of other Dark Shadows stars uh, late last year. And uh, it's probably one of the last performances he gave, uh, so um, he will be missed. May his memory be a blessing. Now, moving on to the stars of uh, the show uh, during this block, a lot of a lot of people here uh, need to be mentioned in terms of new people coming on. So, uh, but before we get uh, before we uh, start that. Uh, I do want to give a nod in episode 897 to Marie Wallace, who reprised her role as the ghost of Jenny uh, when she came back to warn uh, Chris uh, Jennings, played by Don Briscoe, uh, 
our uh, great-grandson. And uh, that was kind of nice to see, uh, because as, as, as Jenny, she actually came back as crazy Jenny, rather than uh, later on the Jenny that she was before she became mad. And of course, Marie Wallace is continuing here in her role as Megan Todd, uh, a central figure in terms of the Leviathan. Episode 899 has two uh, actors uh, coming on. John Harkins, who played Garth Blackwood in the 1897 uh, arc, and it was uh, excellent there, returns as Strack, S-T-R-A-K, which is an anagram of Trask, if uh, the uh, new ones haven't figured that out yet. And it's interesting to note that the name Strack was used once again in the movie Night of Dark Shadows uh, for Reverend Strack. Uh, Thayer David played that role. Uh, and of course, uh, this uh, John Harkins Strack is the um, Leviathan uh, person who comes and, uh, and makes and makes his deal with Paul Stoddard back in the 1949 flashback, which we also have in this block. Uh, also in this episode, Kenneth McMillan plays an extra role as a customer in uh, the 1949 flashback that we have. Kenneth McMillan went on to do a lot of things after Dark Shadows, but he was born in uh, 1932 in uh, Brooklyn, New York, and uh, he, he really started out in, uh, in business as a former manager at Gimbel's, uh, believe it or not, and then he changed into acting and uh, then went on to be in Serpico, um, Salem's Lot. Serpico in 75, Salem's Lot in uh, in 79, the taking of Pelham 123 in 76, Eyewitness in 81, Ragtime in 81, Pope of Greenwich Village in 81, Dune in 84, uh, Blue, Blue Skies Again in 83, Armed and Dangerous in 86, Three Fugitives in 89, um, and also he was on, did a lot of TV. He was in Ryan's Hope, the soap opera. Then he was in Kojak, Starsky and Hutch, Rockford Files, um, Magnum P.I., uh, Murder, She Wrote. And he died on January 8th, 1989, at age 56, which was kind of young. Uh, wow. Uh, that is that is definitely kind of young. Uh, so there's another example, and we have a few examples of these, of uh, extras who got their start on Dark Shadows. We've talked about a lot of them already, and who became uh, stars in their own right later on. And we'll get to a couple of other of these. Episode 903 has a one-shot by one of the few Asian-American actors, or perhaps I think the only Asian-American actor on Dark Shadows, and that was Sho Onodera. And he played Mr. Nakamura, the servant of Donna McKechnie. And, of course, Donna McKechnie returns, has returned as Olivia Corey, and she will later uh, become, once again, Amanda Harris. But Sho Onodera 
afterwards was also in taking of Pelham 123 and uh, Karate, The Hand of Death of 1961, and he was on Robert Montgomery Presents. The interesting thing uh, about Sho Onodera was that he was incarcerated as a Japanese uh, prisoner uh, in California uh, during uh, World War II. And uh, he went from there into the U.S. Army, and he was an instructor in Japanese uh, for the for the army. Uh, so that is uh, very interesting. I think he has passed. Um, oh, and he was born in Seattle, Washington, and he passed on October twenty sixth of nineteen ninety four. At Lenox Hill Hospital in New York. Episode 904, David Selby returns as Grant Douglas, originally, who was uh, run over by Barnabas. And uh, this just shows you that Barnabas does not know how to drive, uh, although uh, I suppose he... He didn't hit him by accident, but there was no real... But the police investigation cleared him, and I think that was very interesting since uh, no uh, police were called to the scene, and Barnabas technically drove away from the scene of the accident. He just took him to the hospital, I guess. Uh, But uh, David Selby once again returns as that character, Grant Douglas, and of course he's later revealed to be Quentin Collins, who continues that storyline in the present. Episode 905 uh, marks the debut for a short period of time of child actor David Jay, who plays Alexander Todd. And Alexander is the uh, second reincarnation of the Leviathan. The first one was Joseph as a baby, and they didn't have a baby, uh, a child actor for that. Uh, so David Jay was born on uh, June 4th. 1961 in Worcester, Massachusetts, and he was on Love, the old soap Love is a Many Splendid Thing, as well as in the movie Staying Alive, uh, the John Travolta sequel to Saturday Night Live, and that was done in 1981. And uh, an interesting side note, um, there was a there was a uh, festival sponsored jointly by NBC and the New York City Blood Bank in the late 70s in uh, Le Magique, which was a uh, which was a disco at the time, and Jonathan Ford attended, as well as uh, the surprise guest being David Jay, who was already now a young man. And uh, for those of you who are, in, for those fans who don't know about it yet, there is some footage of that. I think Joe Teglia, one of the big fans there, took it. Uh, if he didn't, uh, I'm sure I'll hear from the one that did. Uh, but that was uh, the, that was some uh, either taped footage or film footage, and that's on YouTube now. Uh, so we can all see, uh, unfortunately, I don't think there's any sound to it, but we can see Jonathan and we can see him welcoming, welcoming David J. to the stage. And how do I know about that? That's because I was there. Okay, moving back to episode 900. Jean-Pierre Boru played the bartender in the 1949 flashback. There's a, there's a piece of trivia for you. Episode 902, Charles Rush 
played the stranger stalking Carolyn. We don't have any further information on either of those two actors. Re- remember also, Lisa Richards returns during this block as Sabrina. And the amazing thing is uh, Carolyn opens the door and there is Sabrina. She can walk, she can talk. And uh, what an amazing recovery since she was in a wheelchair and could barely speak. Episode 909 has child actress Lisa Ross, who plays Carolyn as an eight-year-old child with blonde hair and pigtails, who uh, uh, is really the Leviathan who takes on that shapeshifter form uh, to haunt Paul Stoddard. And uh, the interesting thing about that was, uh, it it really reminds me of the movie Bad Seed, uh, if any of you have ever seen that. Uh, I, I think that's kind of a little takeoff on that. But it was, ve- but it was a very interesting uh, day or two for her. Episode nine ten has Ronald Dawson as Professor Henry Osmond, and that was the professor, uh, friend of Professor Stokes, who uh, was able to um, work uh, restoration with the two Charles, two Charles Delaware Tate paintings, uh, one of which, uh, the later one, was under the Harrison Monroe, uh, which was his uh, later pseudonym for Charles Delaware Tate. And uh, the first painting turned out to be, uh, when restored, turned out to be Amanda Harris underneath that landscape, and the second one turned out to be uh, Quentin Collins as... Uh, uh, the Dorian Gray takeoff. Now, um, Ronald Dawson was born on December 7, 1902, believe it or not, in Johannesburg, South Africa. He was also an eye spy in Edge of Night, and he died January 24, 1984, in Silver Springs, Maryland. Uh, and he was also on The Goldbergs, uh, the, uh, the old TV show. Episode 912 marks the first appearance of Ed Riley, who, who, uh, was, who for this episode was a stand-in for Harrison Monroe, uh, which we mentioned uh, is the pseudonym of Charles Delaware Tate, and Roger Davis, of course, uh, comes back as uh, the old Charles Delaware Tate in this block. Um, and Ed Riley was... Uh, Ed Riley, the only thing we have on him is that he passed away on Christmas of 1982 in New York City. Combined episodes 913 and 914, probably because there was a preemption of some sort, uh, here we have the first appearance of child actor Michael Maitland as Michael Hackett-Todd, and that is the next reincarnation of uh, The Leviathan. Uh, he was born August 27, 1956, in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. He was also on Search for Tomorrow, Edge of Night, and Emergency, the TV show. And unfortunately, he passed uh, young. I believe he had uh, leukemia or some other sort of uh, some sort of cancer. And uh, he died uh, April 23, 2014, in Rhinebeck. New York. 915, episode 915 is a very interesting episode as far as stars are concerned. We have, first of all, the uh, one-time appearance of Pierino Mascarino, 
who did a one-shot as Adlar, and uh, this was a Leviathan who appeared to Barnabas uh, to give him a dire warning uh, that if he did not cooperate with the Leviathans, uh, he would return once again to his vampire state. Uh, remember, he is a normal human being up to this point uh, in this block. The big surprise in this episode, of course, the old-time fans know about it. Uh, for the new fans, uh, in the dream, Barnabas meets a hooker, and he turns her into a vampire. She turns out to really have been one of the other leviathans who is uh, acting to show him what would happen and that is played by none other than marcia mason uh who later on married neil simon uh went on to cinderella liberty uh and a lot of tv and movie work she really became a big star and she did get her start on dark shadows as one of the as one of the extras that was one of her early roles she played audrey uh, so he even gave her a name uh, on that. Uh, and, of course, she is uh, in Periscope 1996, Missing in Action 1984, uh, Greystone Wars in 1981. On TV, she was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Alias uh, 227, Mad About You, Different Strokes, Everybody Loves Raymond, Seinfeld, NCISLA, so I am going to go back, uh, and with apologies to the fans, all those shows that I just talked about were what Pierino Mascherino did. Uh, so uh, I'm telling you, but we'll get to what Marsha Mason did in a second. So all of those shows that I just mentioned, uh, thanks for catching myself on this blooper, is what Pierino Mascherino did. After Dark Shadows, he did a pretty, uh, he had a pretty decent career. So now let's talk about what Marsha Mason has done. Um, and uh, she was born in St. Louis, Missouri, April third, nineteen forty-two, um, and uh, had done some early work in uh, on the stage, and she was. Also on the old soap, Where the Heart Is. And, okay, so now, Marsha Mason, Bloom and Love, Cinderella Liberty, uh, The Goodbye Girl, um, uh, and, 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 and The Goodbye Girl Chapter 2, Max Dugan Returns in 83, um, Frasier, Number uh, Two Days in the Valley, uh, Madam Secretary, uh, Nick of Time, and of course the Neil Simon movie. Max, the, we did mention Max Dugan Returns, and of course the Neil Simon movies uh, that he wrote for her. Uh, suffice it to say, she's had a very great career, and uh, now that I've corrected myself, I finally gave her her due. Uh, her her participation in Dark Shadows, although a very, although a minor one. Is kind of is another example of one of the extras who, after Dark Shadows, went on to make it good. Okay, episode nine seventeen. Clara's Blackburn returns as Mrs. Johnson, and we see her for a few episodes. Ed Riley uh, now takes on his uh, other role on Dark Shadows uh, during this episode, and that's Sheriff Davenport, who later becomes a zombie 
working for the adult version of the Leviathan, which we're going to get to in a, in a minute or two. Episode 922 uh, has the TV debut of Emery Bass as Mr. Best, otherwise known as Death, and we have an Orpheus Eurydice plot where Amanda Harris is uh, taken to a hotel way station uh, and Quentin has to try to rescue her. Emery Bass was born August 12, 1925 in Valdosta, Georgia, and he went on after Dark Shadows to do Kojak Murder, She Wrote, The Jeffersons. Uh, he was in the movie Cheap, De- Chief, Cheap Detective. And he was in uh, CBS Children's Mystery Theater in 1980. He was in Dynasty, um, Webster again. And he died on March 4th, 2015. So he only died a few years ago. Episode 923 marks the debut of Joffrey Scott as Sky Rumson, Angelique's husband. And uh, he was born on uh, February 27, 1942, in Hollywood, California. Uh, Joffrey Scott had a very decent career after Dark Shadows. He went on to do Hulk in uh, 2003. He did Dynasty. Um, He did uh, a number of of things, a number of performances. And he passed very recently... Uh, February 23rd, 2021 in Broomfield, Kansas. Episode 928 marked the one-time appearance of Camila Ashland as Mrs. Hutchins. And uh, she was uh, the old lady that was uh, paid off by Philip Todd uh, to to conjure up a story that uh, Michael... Uh, the Leviathan uh, actually stayed with her after a fictional car crash that killed Michael's parents. Uh, Camila Ashland was born uh, March 24th, 1911, in New York, New York, and she was uh, she had a few little work. Uh, v in 1983, and the sequel V: The Final Battle in 1984, and uh, oh, she was in the movie Ten. Uh, how many people remember that movie uh, now, with the uh, stirring, with the stirring tunes of Ravel's Bolero? Uh, for the uh, for the older fans, I think uh, she passed away uh, September twelfth, two thousand eight, in uh, Palm Desert, California, I believe that is. Uh, oh, and yes, a boy, and she was also in the Golden Girls. Anyway, you can. She was on Taxi. She was on Saint Elsewhere. Apparently she was given a credit in House of Dark Shadows, although I don't remember what she played in uh, I Dream of Genie. So uh, she had some, she had some uh, other TV experience as well. Fans who are really, really uh, detailed will catch Emery Bass's only voiceover uh, in the uh, initial. Uh, this was seen in Dark Shadows in episode 932. And also in episode 932, we have the debut for a few episodes of Brian Sturdivant, who plays the bellboy, the British Cockney accent bellboy uh, in the uh, Way Station Hotel run by Mr. Bass. 
uh, I should say Mr. Best, the deaf. Um, he was also, Brian Sturdivant was also in Van Richthofen and Brown in 1973, coming as, and the coming asunder of Jeremy Bright in 1973. Episode 933 marks the last appearance of Dennis Patrick on Dark Shadows. Dennis Patrick, may his memory be a blessing, of course, uh, was Jason McGuire in the first year of Dark Shadows, and he came back to play Paul Stoddard, and uh, that's his last hurrah uh, after being brutalized and killed by the Leviathan. Episode 935 marks the debut of a big star of Dark Shadows, uh, the first appearance of Christopher Pennock as Jeb Hawks, the final adult incarnation of the Leviathan. He was born on uh, June 7, 1943, in New York City, and we actually interviewed him uh, uh, last year, and that interview, of course, can be found on uh, Literary License Podcast apps. Unfortunately, uh, Christopher Pennock passed away um, a few months ago. Uh, actually, February. Oh, actually, it's a long time. February tenth, nineteen twenty-one. So it's over a year. I can't believe it. Uh, it really, time has passed. And of course, he was in a lot. He was in the. He was also in Young and Restless. He was. Uh, he was married. Uh, his first marriage was to Marilyn Joseph, who actually is an extra later on in Dark Shadows, and he met her uh, when she did her role on the show in the. Uh, 1841 time block, and uh, and of course he did marry he did marry again, uh, and I believe they had a 30 year marriage. Um, anyway, uh, he was in Lobo, uh, a Lobo episode. He was in California Suite. He was in Melrose Place, um, Cagney and Lacey, Frazier, Silk Stockings, um, and has been in a number of Ansel Farage's uh, movies uh, and uh, had a great time with that. Um, Chris Pennock was one of the most memorable uh, actors I ever interviewed uh, for this podcast. Um, His four, five, and seven-letter words will always stick out in my memory. He was a very, very bright guy and he was very talented as well. I mean, I remember him I remember him saying that he won uh, a prize when he was five or six years old for a drawing that he did. It was a national competition uh, that he won. And uh, he was a very... he was very. He was a very generous guy, and he he admitted freely that he had been through drug problems. And uh, one of the most... Uh, poignant moments uh, during the interview was him uh, was his advice to uh, current people that that have those uh, issues and uh, for them to get help and for them to get off uh, the controlled substances they were on and uh, that was very very uh, that that shows you another side of his personality that you're definitely not going to see on Dark Shadows because all he portrays is evil stuff and this will not be his first character and as we get to future blocks we'll go into others episode 937 is kind of interesting David Hennessy was in some kind of an accident and he broke his leg and uh, he the trooper that he was 
He appeared on this episode as David Collins in a uh, wheelchair and full cast, and uh, they wrote his uh, they wrote his accident into the script, and uh, he was uh, he was he, they had him at least playing in two scenes, and uh, it was it was really something to see. Finally, for the stars, episode 938 has associate producer George DiCenzo uh, taking a stab at acting, uh, but here he, play- here he plays the hand of Sheriff Davenport coming out of the grave uh, in preparation for Ed Riley to return as Sheriff Davenport as the zombie uh, in, the, in the next episode. And George DiCenzo is probably most remembered for his role as Marty's father in the first Back to the Future movie. Uh, probably one of his most well-known roles. He was born uh, a- April 21st, 1940. And uh, he was also in Close Encounters of the Third Time, the Third Kind, uh, The Sword in 1985. Um, and uh, he passed away August 9th, 2010, in Buck City, Iowa. He was also in Murder, She Wrote, and uh, a number of Law & Order. He was in a number of productions aside from that. And so, that, that ends the stars portion. We had a lot of them, didn't we, this, uh, this block? And now we go to the bloopers. So one of the things that we will see, so one of the things that we will see in the, uh, in this block, uh, we first see that Jonathan Frida's Barnabas, they, they, they're doing a, a couple of interesting personality quirks to him as he gets into that evil Leviathan character, although later on he... Uh, when faced with the fact that they that Michael wants him to kill Julia, he that really starts to break him from the Leviathan role, and he comes back to the original Barnabas again. But you see Jonathan's Fred smiling a lot during this block, and I had never noticed this when I uh, first watched the show. I thought that Barnabas smiled very, very infrequently, like when he killed Nicholas Blair off. And by the way, remember Nicholas Blair. That's all I'm going to say. But uh, here he's smiling a heck of a lot. And in episode, uh, combination episode 894 and 895, uh, he actually, Barnabas actually pours himself a drink. And you see him drinking a little more than you, uh, than you did. Uh, I mean, he never touched a drop, especially when he was a vampire. Uh, I think he's having a little... Uh, He's uh, he's remind and he's reminding himself of his mother's uh, mother's Naomi uh, predilection uh, to that. Now I have to say, very strong writing uh, by Violet Wells, who continued to do uh, extra duty, and uh, she really uh, you know she really she did the first year, and then she went on to help out with the Quentin arc. And, and here she's also showing her stuff. Of course, Gordon Russell is doing a lot of writing here, too. Henry Kaplan is doing a good job as directing. Uh, Bob Miner uh, turns out to be uh, the 
uh, producer after Robert and uh, after Robert Costello. I don't know uh, what happened there. Uh, and uh, just as a footnote, Robert Minor, uh, uh, Mr. Minor died. Uh, Peter Minor, Peter Minor. Excuse me, guys. Peter Minor uh, passed away a couple of years ago in 2020. This block, you don't see a lot of bloopers aside, of course, from the usual microphone, you know, microphones on the walls and and, and so forth. I think they really did a a better job. Uh, Well, one thing, though, one thing I have to mention is that there are a lot, there are a number of rough cuts in this block. I think they tried to do some innovative work, uh, especially with the uh, cave that Quentin and Amanda were going through in order to try and get back into the real world, and they have to cross this bridge, and at the last moment, uh, she falls through a a step. Quentin never thought to warn her about it. All he had to do was, he apparently was able to make it, so all he had to do was to tell her, hey, watch out, there's no step there. Well, no, no, didn't do that. She fell, uh, she started to fall, and he had to grab her to pick her up, and that was when... Uh, if you watch, watch this block, the curse was broken, uh, or the curse was fulfilled, I should say, uh, that if the two of them touched, they would be separated, no longer to see each other again. So that was really a takeoff, once again, on Orpheus and Eurydice. Uh, just as uh, the uh, Charles Delaware Tate and Roger Davis, of course, returns to play Charles Delaware Tate, uh, in the house, and you have uh, megaphones outside the house. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz, in, in, in essence, you know. And they and they and they meet a uh, young Charles Delaware Tate, and that's actually a mannequin. And uh, and <laughs> Quentin goes for him, and the head falls off. And uh, Roger Davis uh, talks about that. They had to cut the scene and redo it. Uh, and really, it was really, really a rough cut what you see because Roger Davis couldn't start, stop laughing uh, at the thought of that of, of the uh, seeing him seeing the dummy head of himself on the floor. Uh, and and there's the old Charles Delaware tape right behind the curtain uh, where he's discovered, uh, I believe, by Julia. So. Really, a takeoff on the Wizard of Oz there. So we have a number of uh, we have a number of other steals as Dark Shadows was so well known for. Uh, just remember, in eight, episode eight ninety eight, the date of December twenty first, nineteen sixty nine, which is uh, the date that uh, the uh, that uh, Paul Stoddard is supposed to uh, make his uh, make his payment. Uh, regarding uh, Carolyn and uh, he was also supposed to uh, stand with Carolyn as she married Jeb's Hawks and uh, the speech that Jonathan gives saying that Carolyn is you're my most precious you're my most precious possession speech Uh, he is your most precious possession uh, anyway, is uh, another evidence of Jonathan smiling through your, your father's most precious possession. I finally got that right. Excuse me, guys. Um, this is a real. This, this is re- to see to see Barnabas break into that kind of grin 
is 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 absolutely unbelievable, and that to me is better than when he was smiling, which most of the fans remember when he smiled when he got Nicholas Blair. Now we haven't said a word about the Leviathan. Actually, we've talked about the stars that have played them, but uh, the actual Leviathan himself, I, I, I kind of wondered with the breathing. And here for uh, for the for the well, it's it's actually the second time because during the podcast, I introduced the Leviathan. See how easy that is, guys. All they had to do was have a uh, sound effects man breathe into the microphone uh, and probably tape it. Uh, and uh, I, 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 and I think, and 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 if you listen to that breathing, it either sounds like uh, his CPAP is broken, or he has asthma. Uh, so uh, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know what to tell you, but that is probably you're going to hear that breathing. Sounds like an obscene phone call or two. Yes, I know. Uh, but you're gonna see. But you're gonna hear that breathing. You won't see it, but you'll hear it uh, throughout this block as well as the next. I thought episode 904 was interesting because you have a dream of uh, I think it's Liz uh, being in a carnival and uh, you know, kind of a funhouse kind of thing. And you see David Hennessy in a fat suit, and uh, it's. Uh, you know, it's it's quite a little that's quite a little change, uh, and I think the credits are kind of interesting too. Uh, if you look at the episode, uh, if you look at the episode there, and uh, and and there and there's a there, there's a line which uh, the prurient people in the audience will uh, will love, but uh, but the normal ones like myself will not. Uh, where David says to Liz, why can't we have fun anymore? And of course you know what we're talking about. Get your dirty minds out of the gutter, guys. Let's go to the next blooper. And in episode 905, you finally see a payphone in the hospital. I think the last time you've seen something like that was a payphone at the Blue Whale. So they obviously found somewhere to put that thing. The interesting stuff in episode 906, the traveling Afghan once again appears in Paul Stoddard's room. Uh, so that uh, so we know exactly where uh, they are going. No, the Collinsport fly does not make an appearance in this block uh, for those people who probably will miss him. And uh, I thought it's just kind of interesting that uh, Carolyn takes off her shoes before she uh, goes upstairs because she doesn't want... Uh, the people in the drawing room hearing her. Uh, first time I, we ever saw that. And by the way, in episode 907, Grand Douglas is in the hospital. Where is everybody else? I mean, they seem to be the only two people. It's him and uh, the other the other one or two Dark Shadow stars. Uh, and there's nobody else on the floor. No doctors, no nurses. That floor doesn't appear to be monitored at all. Uh, like the hospital forgot about him. Also, uh, a big blooper in another episode where uh, Michael Maitland uh, dies, uh, and uh, that is uh, just to—that's uh, just to fool everybody. And Julia tries to revive him uh, with no crash cart, no uh, defibrillator, no CPR. 
uh, all she does is give him another, give him an injection of something. And uh, even if we were going to say she was giving him adrenaline, why is she giving it to him in the arm and not in the heart? And of course, we all know the answer to that. Uh, so uh, that's uh, Dr. Hoffman practicing substandard medicine as usual. And P.S. The writers are to blame for that, not Grayson Hall. Had a wonderful, wonderful career. I don't want the Grayson Hall fans coming after me. Episode 909. What happened to the passageway from the, uh, from the main hall to the study? In earlier episodes, they had to go through a, through a long passageway in order to get there. Now, it's, the door is right there, so, so, so there must have been some interior decorating. They must, have taken, they must have taken that passageway out. But they obviously wanted a more direct way to get from the main hall to the study because there were going to be scenes there, such as Lisa Ross uh, running into the study and when uh, she is sought, uh, guess who was there? Uh, Michael, uh, the Leviathan is there. Look for a big music blooper in uh, 912, episode 912. They're playing, they're playing uh, Robert Cobert's music in the background, and obviously it was being played on the phonograph, and the needle skipped. So you, <laughs> so you hear the same thing over and over uh, for at least uh, three or four times. Uh, before somebody finally noticed it and the music continued. Also in this episode, uh, I think it's David that throws a piece of paper into the fire. Now this fire had a grill uh, in front of it. So all the paper did was bounce off the grill and back onto the floor. So the paper definitely wasn't destroyed. 917, you see a Joan Bennett blooper where she is pouring... Uh, medicine uh, which keeps Paul asleep and uh, she's and she's pour and half of it spills as uh, as she's pouring it into a glass watch out for those closed captioning bloopers I'm not going to go into a lot of detail with them uh, but one thing I do have to say in episode 918 is uh, the closed captioning uh, Selby's talking as Quentin and uh, he's talking about himself I believe it's a pretty solid he's a pretty solitary fellow and closed captioning has it as reclusive and of course it means the same thing but it's not what the actor said and once again for the detailed ones it's in 918 that uh, Charles Delaware Tate's head falls off and uh, and remember there are a number of rough cuts uh, another one I can think of is when they're trying to get out of the cave Quentin and uh, Amanda and she gets caught in a spider's web and uh, you see the spider coming. Then they had a, they had a fake spider there. I mean, there was no. They did a lot of shadows, so she she looked like. Uh, it kind of it kind of made it look almost German or Caligarian because you know she had this the, the shadow of her against the spider's web. Uh, it did. It, it looked like another actress was doing it. Who was a lot thinner and and taller, uh, or maybe it was the way the light was set up. Uh, and uh, in fact, uh, one of the in fact one of the rocks uh, right across from the bridge. You know, there's a there's a number. Of, you know, there are a lot of them. But one of the rocks was a different color. Uh, it was a blue color, whereas all the other rocks were dull gray. I have a feeling there was probably a light, 
behind one of those rocks to uh, choose emphasis for this set. Uh, but anyway, getting back to Amanda Harris, that was a, that was also cut very badly. Uh, you know, they just had a scene of uh, Quentin crashing, Quentin killing the spider with a rock or something like that, and then you see this, the fake spider just lying on the floor. It was a good try, but uh, I don't think they got what they wanted. I think that's probably, you know, there aren't a lot of real real bloopers here. Uh, there are a few, but the real, the real thing, this is the first time we really see it in Dark Shadows, is the enormous amount of rough cuts uh, that they did because they had to do retakes and they weren't experienced, I guess they weren't experienced with it because Dan Curtis wanted everything done in one cake. So uh, that's something to look out for. By the way, compliments to the writers on a pretty good dodge in episode 918 uh, where uh, everybody thinks Quentin is going to turn into a werewolf but of course he doesn't because the painting is there. Uh, but he comes he comes home in the morning and his clothes are in tatters and that happened to be because he got into a fa- uh, into a fight in uh, in a Portland bar uh, the top hat I believe it's called uh, anyway um, that was a very very good dodge because uh, everybody thought maybe he's a werewolf again it would be kind of fun to have Alex Stevens play two werewolves you know the great grandfather and the great grandson but that doesn't happen however there is a brief scene between uh, Alex Stevens and Chris Jennings again uh, as the as oh no excuse me uh there is, let's see, so Chris Jennings and the werewolf, between Chris Jennings and David Selby, uh, and, and I should say Alex Stevens and David Selby. So I think that's the first time you have a scene between Alex Stevens and David Selby as the werewolf. For the trivia fans, the name of that uh, landscape that Charles Delaware Tate did is uh, A View of South Wales, and that is uh, brought out in episode 923. Let's not forget Lara Parker, who does return as Angelique in this block and is married to Sky Rumson. And probably for the first time in Angelique's life, she wants to get away from all the neurosis at Collinwood and have a normal life with a, with a rich guy. Uh, and of course, you know, let's, let's not forget that. She flies in planes and so forth. And... Uh, there's this nice little scene between Julia, uh, who goes to their house to uh, borrow the painting, uh, and uh, you know, and, and Angelique is saying, you know, we were friends. Well, Julia says to her, we were friends once. We'd like to be friends again. And Angelique says, frankly, take the painting, uh, give it back, and I never want to see it, and I never want to see anybody again. She really wants to divorce herself. From Barnabas and from everything. And you know something? You can't blame her. So what happens? Barnabas runs into the house uh, asking her for favors and draws her right back into it. Shame on you, Barnabas. And for the first time, we see Catherine Lee Scott's clothes as being uh, given by junior sophisticates. And uh, so uh, Orbax has now got some competition. Well, folks, I think we ought to get back to the show. And I want to thank you. Uh, for listening to this elongated version of the Stars and Bloopers. And uh, I'm, I, there may be some editing done on this, but it's not. But it's up to the boss. 
and let's now, but that has given you an idea of a lot of stuff that went on in this block. Let's now get back to the show. Welcome back to Literal Action's podcast, and we're discussing Dark Shadows, episodes 894 to 940, which would include episodes from December 1969 to January 1970. Our first um, storyline is going to be the Leviathan story. Barnabas tells Philip that he will be punished for letting the books be stolen. David is mesmerized by the, by the Leviathan. The Leviathan sign. Mega. Three, fast, three times fast. The antique shop and her strange breathing noises. David reads the Leviathan book and takes something to the mysterious presence in the shop. Elizabeth has a strange dream. Amy goes to a mysterious antique shop room. At the shop, the new Leviathan child, Michael, terrifies David. Barnabas is told that the Leviathan have Josette under their power. Maggie is trapped in a crypt. Um, crypt. Megan Todd takes Michael's side against her husband Philip. Barnabas informs Megan she must control Michael. Philip searches for Maggie. Philip accuses Michael of terrorizing Maggie. Michael becomes seriously ill. Juliet visits the woman who took care of Michael. Philip has bribed her to tell Julia a plausible story. At night, Megan lets the mysterious presence out of its room in the antique shop. Sheriff Davenport, armed with a search warrant, investigates the antique shop. Jeb Hawkins, the adult Leviathan, appears. He becomes suspicious of Barnabas. Carolyn meets Jeb, who asserts that he will help her forget her misery. Jeb has caused an accident to happen to David. Barnabas warns Maggie to watch over Carolyn. Barnabas relates to Julia how he came under Leviathan's influence. Jeb raises the the sheriff from the dead as a servant. Barnabas pretends to cooperate with Jeb. And Angelique agrees to shelter Carolyn for a few days while Jeb attempts to date-rape Carolyn. So, <laughs> what are your thoughts on the Leviathan storyline? Oh, I like it again. I didn't think I was going to like it because I was really young and I, I just thought, you know, it seemed like overtly stupid back then because I really didn't like all that Lovecraft and all that crap back then. But now when you see it with different eyes and you actually have grown to read Lovecraft or some of these other stories that it's kind of burrowing and satelliting around, it kind of, you know... It kind of tweaks your interest a whole lot more, I guess, is what I would like to say. And I get a real kick out of um, Philip. <laughs> Philip and uh, what's his wife's name? Megan. Those two are just a red hot mess, are they not? <laughs> <laughs> she is so great at acting crazy. You know, I mean, you just got to love her. She's so pretty, too, in this. I'm so glad they kind of undid that crappy hairdo they were giving her. And, they and kind did of you notice? And did you notice? Pretty her back up. And did you notice that with uh, Marie Wallace? At first, they put her hair in a bun, and finally, they 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 just let. Oh, I hated her hair. her hair in a bun. Let her. She's got this beautiful red mane. Just leave I her alone. I agree. Alive. I agree. And didn't she shine when they finally let it all hang out? She really looked sexy, didn't she, Vicky? She looked really pretty. But Philip, he used to play. Alan Spaulding on The Guiding Light. As soon as I saw him, mm-hmm. I go, that's Alan Spaulding. I knew that man anywhere. Well, could... the one who plays Michael, he is the original Patrick Dennis from the musical Maine with Angela Lansbury on Broadway. I did not know that till you told mm-hmm. me that. 
Yeah, so he's you can hear him singing on the actual cast album. Yeah, I was sitting there just like, but they they get these kids. I mean, I don't know how that, but they make you hate these kids. I mean, I already <laughs> hate kids, period. But I mean, this kid, I <laughs> I really hated this kid. I mean, he was really good at what he was doing. He was a he. It, this like it's like the omen to me. It's kind he of like really, you know, you know, he knew what I thought it was. I thought it was Lance Kerwin at, at, the, at first. He looked familiar. I have to admit, he did. You know, like Lance Kerwin started in Salem's Lot, the TV. Yes, show. that's who I thought it was too. But I it was too late in the game for him. It's, so well, it's maybe a shame. Not. It's a shame that he passed away prematurely. I think he had leukemia or something like that. Uh, what, Michael. I Maitland. mean, so many people have died. Dark Shadows World. Yes, I mean, indeed, young, old. indeed. But David J who uh, preceded Michael Maitland uh, uh, was uh, really uh, was was really good and uh, there was a great episode where he char he, where he challenged uh, a Barnabas and, uh, and 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 he charged Fr- he he challenged Fred and it was really the sparks were really, really flying from that, where uh, where Barnabas is saying you're not going to do this, and and uh, David J is saying, and David J is saying, based, yes, I am, and uh, it was a really, really good episode. And it's interesting that the next day he was gone, and I kind of wonder That's whether so he sad. Kinda, I, I kind of wonder whether he upstaged Frit. But my feeling was is that they really intended to get him off uh, in the first place to take place uh, uh, for Michael, and Alexander was of course the name, and uh, and 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 I think that David J really gave it the the old college try to stay to stay in Sion, to stay on the show. It didn't work, but but it's interesting to note that many years later, uh, the New York. Blood Drive gave a uh, little performance where they invited Jonathan Frid and uh, Zachary, and I attended that at the Old Le Magique Disco, which was the, um, apparently when the studio was torn down, it was a disco temporarily. And I attended that in 78, and David J. came on to uh, the little, little de- you know, uh, as... Uh, David J. came on to talk with Jonathan. And I think a lot of people didn't remember him, but it is on YouTube. And it's very, very interesting to see. And, and I didn't realize myself until I actually saw that episode that he really gave Jonathan a run for his money. This this kid had a, had a stare that could kill, could actually kill people when he... He was really, really a mean character and i think he did it very well so kudos to him. A mean little shit he really was yeah kudos to him for david and amy i mean david's already a bully but to david yep. to be bullied it's yep. kind of refreshing to see though you have to admit yeah well david well david hennessy of course is usually being taken over by other uh exigencies and so forth the way he was taken over by patafi in 1897 and it's no different here he is essentially taken over by the Leviathan. And I, and I agree with you, Vic. David Hennessy gives a great performance once again as somebody who's possessed by the Leviathan and is going in his, uh, and is going in his, uh, his, his, uh, it just cracks me up still though, that no matter what supernatural crap happens to this family, 
when the next episode of Supernatural crap happens, they're just like, oh, no, this can't possibly happen. I <laughs> and agree it's just with like you. everything else from phoenixes, vampires, witches, werewolves. I and mean, you think these people would get hip to this is just the way life is. And this is how the Collins family rolls. Incredible <laughs> stuff. But despite the fact that the Leviathan plot has its uh boring uh issues and so forth it's it's kind of interesting i have to say i mean you know maggie it's it's, how many times has maggie been locked into something in this block Mm -hmm. i mean she gets locked up for all kinds of stuff again and 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 interestingly enough in the credits junior sophisticates takes over for maggie for katherine lee scott's clothes whereas originally it was orbach's but uh, this is the kind of, actually, and if you look at Maggie in this block, she is wearing the same kind of clothes that she will wear in House of Dark Shadows. I noticed that. Yes, it's a great, it's a great uh, segue where uh, she is indeed, uh, you know, in this, in, in this block, she's being, uh, she's, she's hidden in the um basement of uh she's hidden in the basement what crypt is she in because i cannot figure out what crypt that is where is she locked in where michael's got her she, locked up she's Michael not in the crypt she's in the Jeb, basement Jeb's of the old house around the old house room uh where 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 uh she was actually kept as maggie when barnabas had uh traumatized is she in the her. same place then yeah she's near there she's near there she doesn't actually see it but she's in the same catacombs, right. uh, so to speak. Okay, gotcha. And, and it's very interesting to see. Uh, and again, it's, oh, Maggie's gone again. Maggie's kidnapped again. Where is Maggie? This is like the uh, barrels of Pauline. Absolutely. Absolutely. The only thing that doesn't happen is she isn't tied to a, to a railroad track. Yeah, that's but the only other- thing they haven't done to her character yet. Absolutely, but other than, but other than that, you know, and there she is, and Michael is trapped her. And uh, by the way, I have a special guest, and this is a surprise for you and Vicky, for you, Keith and Vicky. I have a special guest who has never been interviewed on Dark Shadows, and who has never gone to a convention. And I'm going to let him out, and here he is. <sighs> oh, Jesus. I know. What's with the heavy breathing for crying out loud? I just I figure this is somebody who is either uh, lost his sleep apnea, uh, CPAP, and uh, can't breathe, uh, or perhaps heavy breathers. Has, it's just like what has, is with the heavy uh, breathing? Is he has, has, I think the Leviathan has asthma, and I don't think that. Or is it Zima? But is it Cthulhu or is it Leviathan? Is this thing supposed to be like an octopus? What is it? It's supposed to be a, a formless shape that in the room that takes on that takes on human shape that when he goes out. But I just I just listened to this and I said, yeah, this was somebody breathing into a microphone. Oh Isn't God, that? drive me nuts! It's like, so, I, so I'm going to briefly interview him, uh, Leviathan. <laughs> what do you think of Vicky? <laughs> <laughs> Leviathan, what do you think of Keith? I'm gonna smack well, you. Tom. If I could smack comment. you through this screen, I would stick my foot right up your ass right now. 
but I couldn't resist that. I think that is that is. Oh, the heavy breathing though. God, it's just like stop with the heavy breathing though. Seriously, can he make a scary noise like a Godzilla kind exactly. of noise? Exactly. Literary license podcast has had now history in that the Leviathan for the first time in Dark Shadows history has been interviewed on the Literary License Podcast. <laughs> the heavy so, we might get What's a that? Rondo nomination next year. Probably get a Rondo <laughs> nomination for that. That's right. The heavy That's breather. next year. <laughs> I know we should because you know what? Nobody could come up with a heavy breather like we got. So absolutely. And all you gotta do is breathe into the mic. <sighs> yeah, but my, I might collapse along if I do that. So. All right, it's incredible. <laughs> it's so funny. It's so funny. I it just had such a kick. I kind of wish the Leviathan was making telephone calls to call him. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> well, I'm sure he has. Probably, probably it is more. Uh, it probably is more lonely state because this is essentially the 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 essence of the character of the Leviathan through um, through Alexander, played by David J, Michael. and then Michael, played by Michael Michael Maitland, and finally. Christopher Pennock, who finally comes on and yeah. plays uh, Jeb Hawks, is is a very He was so lonely. pretty when he was young. What's that? Yes, yes. He was very absolutely. pretty when he was young. Absolutely. And we were very privileged to interview him last year before his mm. passing. May his blessed be a memory. But I, I, I think that this is so, uh, you know, it's, it's so apropos. Loneliness with a capital L is the essence of the Leviathan character. Wants to mate, and of course he he fixates on Carolyn. He's like Vulcan, you know. So he's like he's what is he like Spock on Vulcan? He gets the seven year itch. <laughs> he's got, he's exactly. Got <laughs> but that was an arranged marriage. If you if you're into Star Trek, arranged. She only knew him for like five minutes. That's yeah, well, this is true. What is he? A whole two weeks old? <laughs> whatever, uh, but. But here, uh, you know, and, and, and of course, we just begin to see uh, he comes on five episodes before the end of this block. Yeah. But we just begin to see Chris, uh, uh, Chris's range mm-hmm. as an actor. And uh, although I thought, like I said, I thought David J did a great job with that one episode with Barnabas. Michael Maitland was, uh, you know, he was what he, what he was, what he was. But it's really Chris Pennock that takes this to the uh, the, t- the next the, level for sure. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 abs- absolutely, absolutely. And he's such a dirty boy too. I mean, he's he's got that bad boy. You knew Carolyn was going to kind of, sort of, you know, be interested. She just couldn't stay away. Because he can't really do nothing to you in his human form. Doesn't he have to be that flagellating octopus or whatever the hell it is? <laughs> you know, that's in, in the, the, non, only- in the non-union form. And let's forget, although it isn't exactly mentioned in this block, but let's forget, let's not remember the demise of um, uh, Carolyn's father. Oh, uh, yeah, Patrick. We get to that. Patrick Stewart, we get to that. But we'll, we'll get to that. But but that is, of course, a very a very a very seminal part. And uh, we will. I love that he came back briefly. I did. I enjoyed his performance. 
Exactly. And we will not see Patrick Stewart again after his demise as Carolyn's father. But uh, it is a fitting tribute uh, for his contribution to Dark Shadows, of course, is Jason McGuire in the first year, and now is Paul Stoddard, uh, you know, in the second year. And uh, you will, in the next plot, see pictures. Let me put it this way: pictures of Paul Stoddard, but he is not to be seen of again. And that is a uh, and that and that that was quite a tribute to him. They don't bury people very deep in Collinsport, do they? I just thought that's just a random thought. We'll get to that too. <laughs> just like everybody just seems to just six inches of dirt. Here I am. <laughs> and, and of course we see, and of course Maggie, and of course Maggie once again is kidnapped by, uh, you know, they always use that. The Leviathan the, guy. Yep. The Leviathan, yep, by Leviathan guy. And he's he hates around. her, boy. I mean, he really can't stand her in this episode. Well, he can't stand a few people. He's a very narcissistic guy, and he demands that people worship he's, him. He's, 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 really, he's not so much narcissistic. He's very immature yes. and self-centered and shallow. Yes. I and mean, he does it really well because it's all about him. You know, it's yes, all about absolutely. his needs. And, and he doesn't pay attention to the book. He does whatever he wants. That's and exactly Oberon, right. I'm just wondering why they didn't write Oberon coming in there to slap his hand. But I guess we wouldn't have got any climax to the story if, you know, Oberon had popped in earlier. So he's a big headache to Barnabas. He really is. And uh, I don't know. We should. Talk well, you know, Barnabas's this. behavior kind of confounded me in this block because one minute he looked like a man possessed. And then the next instant, he's being rebellious again, and he's kind of like Barnabas again. Well, I think what happened there was they said, you got to kill Julia off. And that was the, that was the uh, point at which Barnabas said, no, I cannot kill her. She's done too much for me. And he tries to start finding ways to uh, see if he can avoid that. And I think at that point, he started to break away from the Leviathan thing. And again, they lied to him. They said that jo- that they kept Joseph prisoner oh, when Josette right. actually killed herself with poison. And, and Barnabas didn't know that. But, but wasn't Barnabas- she alive? Yeah, no, but in another timeline, she was alive and they caught her, didn't they? No, they killed her off in something. She killed herself. Off Did, in okay, something. is that when she drank the poison? I That's get right. Confused. So That's she right. isn't alive. No, she isn't alive, but they like Okay, so she actually died. So Barnabas did not. Okay, I forget. I digress. Okay, so so nothing has changed, really. She still dies. The timeline is not really other than circumstantial. That's correct. But they lied to him. They're lying to him. Okay, because I got confused about that. Okay. Well, it's not, it's not, uh, it it, it is uh, pretty uh, reasonable you would have gone confused that you would have uh, got confused because um the uh, Leviathan guy came back they had a different they had a different Leviathan guy in the one episode that uh uh what's her name um uh oh, for god's sakes uh <laughs> The the woman who appeared as a the woman who appeared as a vampire who might have married Neil Simon uh, and did all those movies with him. I know and, you're talking about, but I cannot come up with her name. Marcia yeah, Mason. can you, Keith? Uh, she was Mason. in Cinderella Liberty. Marsha Mason. That wasn't her. Marsha Mason. Thank you. Thank you. You get the Cracker Jack Prize. Was that Marsha Mason? That's, that's right. That was not her, was it? That is. That was her. 
No shit. I didn't know that. Now I got to go back and find the bloody episode because I didn't know that was her. That was her. She did an extra stint on Dark Shadows when she was an unknown. And she played the uh, hooker turned vampire when. Oh, my uh, God. That was her. That's correct. That is right. Oh, my God. I didn't notice. And that is another and then there's another instance of somebody who was uh, of an actress who was an I love it when actor. I learn something new every day. That's so cool. Okay. Unknown. Unknown. Came on Dark Shadows for one episode. And, of course, later, uh, she married name is Neil Simon, and she went on to fame, fame, fame. And right. uh, So that is Marsha Mason. Goodbye, girl. That's like one of my favorite movies. 9.15, if I remember correctly. Uh, who uh, and it was a great and it was a great little episode because she really you know for the limited role that she had she really played it well and uh, yeah she did she was she was destined for greatness absolutely absolutely so uh, so here she was but uh, and of course that uh, Leviathan with an Italian name because then I have and I'll go into that in the bloopers because uh, they couldn't get the regular Leviathan, I guess, onto the show that day. But then the regular said, Leviathan, okay? Yeah, yeah. But then they, but then essentially he's, he he laid out the rules to Barnabas that Leviathans are not supposed to kill mortals, mortals who are who are part he's of the Leviathan the rules. are supposed to do that, and that is was the basic. That was a basic issue with um, Michael Maitland, who said, and, and later Chris Pennock, who said, I don't care what the book says. I'm going to kill whoever I want to kill. And, yeah. it's, and, and, that, and that, that is something that the Leviathans are going to get, they're going to get back to him on. But it was because of that that Paul Stoddard was killed by Chris Pennock and, uh, and, and, and so forth. But that was a wonder. But that was a wonderful episode in terms of yeah. Leviathan saying, "Barnabas, if you don't go along with us, because they knew that he broke off when it come when it came to killing Julia, and they actually kind of gave in because the guy said, okay, you don't have to kill Julia today, but you have to punish her somehow, and you have to get her out of the picture.' And uh, but then mm-hmm. Megan Todd, as uh, you know, Marie Wallace as Megan Todd said. I want I want her killed anyway. So there was that. So there, so there Marie was Wallace, and she always plays such a beautifully wonderful nut job. Correct. No matter, I mean, she's just so good. She's got it down. She does does. And then I wanted to give this honorable mention to this block right in this certain episode. So poor, poor Angelique, she's got her shit straight. <laughs> she's she's got a man. She's happy. She he played Brad in some I, I can't remember I don't know if he was in the Young and the Restless but I saw him on Search for Tomorrow or whatever whoever that guy is he's a soap star who's playing her husband but she's just content Chris finally Chris Burnell that might be but mm-hmm. she's she's really content with her life now and she doesn't want shit to do with Collinsport or anything else and here they all come and you know Julia's like of course I won't tell Barnabas where you are and then okay. Barnabas is saying well of course I forced her to that's you know? a different one she that's won't Angelique. recognize you you had black hair <laughs> that's Angelique that's Lara Parker married to Joffrey Scott as Sky Rumson. Oh when, God, it's so and, funny. And that was the best thing in this block that at that and of course we may be talking about another scene 
Uh, Keith, you'll uh, stop me if I go too far. But there is is uh, Lara Parker is Angelique, who has met Sky Rumson, a, a millionaire, that kind of thing. And this guy is the most regular soap opera character I've ever seen. Yeah, he is. Uh, when he first comes on, and he's a and he's a millionaire, and he's talking, he's making all his phone calls, and so forth. But it's the healthiest thing that the Angelique character ever did, in my yep. opinion, to marry this guy, to say, I want to get myself completely divorced from the dark shadow set up and what I did and everything. And I just want to have a happy life with this yep. guy. Yeah, she's got and a I- happy life. And just like Al Pacino, they keep pulling her back in. <laughs> exactly. And give up her powers for this guy. And what do you think? Julia visits her and knocks off her world. Because Julia is looking, and that's again in another scene, yeah. but Julia is looking for Quentin's portrait, at, which he had, which uh, Angela Talk has. about strong acting, David Selby through this. <clears throat> He's brilliant. Awesome. He's brilliant. And, uh, and that's another scene, which, of course, we will go into yeah. in terms of the Orpheus Eurydice plot between him and... Uh, and I was uh, trying Amanda to think Harris. of the myth. I was trying to think of the myth for that. It was driving me crazy. And you just said it. I'm going, which one did I need to look up? I could not remember. Thank you. But I think getting back to scene one, the, Levi- the Leviathan story, which is more developed than I thought it was going to be. I still don't like it because Jonathan Frit is forced to be an evil person. Uh, and that's what I love about it. I know he doesn't want to be evil. Yeah. Well, he's playing a different character. He's like, that's what I like about it. It's not like, it's not the Barnabas torn character and the, even the evil vampire is a different character for him. And he's right. His acting is probably the strongest in this that has been for a while. And he smiles so much in this block. You never saw him smile except when he got rid of Nicholas Blair. And it is amazing. Yeah. And I was very, very impressed to see him. He's boy, boy, is he a real uh, charmer? At, 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 you know, to you know, especially when dealing with Paul Stoddard and saying, you know, this is what you have to do because you agreed to this twenty years ago to give up your most precious possession, yep. Carolyn. And 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 Jonathan's very good with this. I was very, uh, you know, I was I was very impressed. But the bottom line was is that the fans wanted the sympathetic vampire Barnabas, yeah. who really, you know, who really had that. And and again, the decision is made that when they tell me he has to do away, do away with Julia or do something with Julia, that's what changes him, and that's what makes him decide that he's that he's got conflict. Yeah. And and you know, and and and, and I think that's. Uh, and, and I think that's very. I think important. it's funny when he doesn't want Quentin to leave the house to go deal with Jeb. He goes, "Don't go." It's like, please don't go because I'm going to be stuck with all the damn tourists by myself. <laughs> you know. Remember that Quentin recovers not his scared, memory. Though. And that's in another scene, but Quentin recovers his memory. No, but he has to deal with Leviathan still. I mean, he yes, Quentin don't want you know Quentin didn't get a dick with him. He's just good, you know, because I'll just go take them all on, you know. Exactly. I, mean, I, I think the Leviathan storyline is one of the strongest ones that. It's a very interesting point you make, Keith, because a lot of fans didn't like it. No, they didn't. I didn't think I was going to like it because everybody else think, hated it, and I was too young to remember think, it. But I think it's because the fans were very, very young, mm-hmm. and they probably it probably was going over their heads. But as an adult, mm-hmm. I sit there and say that the yes, 
the feel, the feeling of the storyline, the way the storyline's acted, everyone that's in it is fantastic. I can't yes. quote anyone. And there's a different feel to everything. It's like all of a sudden this show has become went from being a because it was getting a bit stale a little bit. Yeah. I mean, this is like the long winding storylines that never seem to end and keep going on and on and on. And all of a sudden they come back to the modern day and all of a sudden it's like it's a new age, it's a new decade. And that's what it had that feel about it. And that's what I, that's what I love about it. So it's like, this is exciting. The storylines are good. No wasted lines whatsoever. There's no wasted scenes. Everything's very crisp, very to the point. Everything's, and everyone's at their top, everyone just is at their top game. It's like, and mm-hmm. you know, you, you get a Jonathan Fred who's playing an ultimately a different character from everything that we've seen him play before. Yeah. It's not mm-hmm. the whole, all this other stuff. <laughs> you know, Julia Hoffman's, Julia Hoffman's very strong as well. She's so on yes. top of everything. Yes. Her, yes. Um, Joan Bennett's probably at her top of her game at the yeah, moment. Yeah, she is this too. Is, He's fantastic as, you know, going Louis back Edmonds. and being the loving mother and then be, but, but there's something sinister going on with a her. Psycho defense. cult member. Yeah. <laughs> Louis Edmonds, a few short scenes, but he's pretty good. And especially David Hennessy, who is excelling at what he was so good at, which, yeah. which is being possessed by somebody. Yeah. And he knows that like a, he knows that like a book and here he's possessed by the Leviathans and he's in charge of the book and the rules and everything. And uh, it's, uh, you know, it's extremely. Well, maybe Keith hit on a point, though, because when I was younger or whatever, I probably wouldn't have been able to sit still for this storyline. But when you get a lot more like we always watch cinema and we read. And so Mm -hmm. we're exposed to a lot more. And it kind of makes sense to those of us who've been exposed to the other Mm -hmm. books and the other movies. So we Mm kind of get where they're going with it. Possibly. Yeah. You know, something totally different because I, you know, this. This storyline has got a lot of people who hate it and go on and on about how horrible it is. So I was I was dreading it. But then when it started, it's like I have to sit there and say, this is probably the first time in for a long time that I haven't my mind hasn't switched off for periods of time. While no, mine hasn't either. I have to say the same thing. I had the same worries you did. Yeah. Well, it's, and well, now it's, I'm watching it's like I just love it. I mean, I love the, I even like the look of it. It's being filmed differently. It has a different look about it. Everyone's dressed. I'm not seeing the boom as much either. I've noticed that they've gotten really, That's right. you know. That's their- right. There are a few there are not there are not a lot of bloopers in this set. Uh you every once in a while, but you have to really look close. Like for a second, for instance, to see when you, you see when the it's camera. a thunderstorm, when it's a thunderstorm, and you see the Klieg lights in the window to simulate the lightning, but it's really a second, yeah. and they really, really take care. I think. However, I have to say that there's a lot of stuff that they tried here. Uh, for instance, uh, and that's just in another scene when you have the Orpheus and Eurydice between Quentin yeah. and uh, and and uh, and what's her name? Uh, and uh, Amanda. Excuse me, Amanda. Amanda, Olivia, thank you. Whatever you're thank calling you. her. You have Quentin and Amanda, and they're and they're going through the and they're going through hell, and you see cuts. You see really sharp cuts. They had to do a lot of takes on some of these cuts because they were really doing, they were really doing um, groundbreaking things like when she was caught in the spider's web and, and, and so forth. And there yeah. are other cuts and it's unfortunate because they, they, you know, because you see these, you see these, and it's not just subtle cuts. They, they had to do these scenes over and, and so forth. And that I think is the one drawback 
to to an otherwise uh, very very interesting block in terms of what they started. And Delilah Swift, I think, was really really part of that. But I but uh, but I do think that uh, in general, remember the fans didn't like it because Barnabas turned evil. They didn't want him to turn evil. Right. They wanted him to be a sympathetic vampire. And but he wasn't listening to that. And I thought that he was turning gray at one point. And I'm going to modify that and say that at certain times, you really have to look close. Uh, some of his um, some of Jonathan's uh, not sideburns, but the the very ends of his hair looked reflective in gray. But I but now I'm looking at it again. and I'm saying, you know, he really didn't turn gray, but maybe it was Jonathan's performance it was performance that his that you know, and this is my opinion, but I think it was performance that tended to age him because of the evil that he that he wanted to exude, because he was always afraid that Josette was captive, and that was talked about over and over in the um, voiceovers by Grayson Hall, who had a lot of voiceovers, by the way. But boy, he really made a lot of money out of that. But uh, I, I really think I really think that that's part of it. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I was just very excited by the whole thing. I think, you know, I just think the, the look, the look of it as well. I mean, it, they were filming it slightly different and stuff like yeah. this. And, you know, I mean, I, I know what the fans are saying, but I also think that because of because of what the fans, you know, because they kept saying but by keeping the fans happy, I think that's probably why the show's only going to last. The last we're in the final year now because of it. Because what they're doing is now, now we're just be, let's become repetitive because this is what we want, and right. I love and I love when they keep trying something new and keep doing something. Um, you know, I now I know what happens after this. We're going to start right. regurgitating right. storylines and yeah. back and forth to storylines again. And the thing is, what what was once you know, a commodity, which is special. It's all going to become, it all becomes secondhand. And it's like, Oh, I've been there, done that. I got a t-shirt somewhere with all that on it. And what I liked about this is that it's totally different. It's totally new. And I say they, they're very successful at it. And I it's like Lovecraft saying, meets Omen, you know? Exactly. Exactly. Um, there's a little bit of Rosemary's baby. A little bit. Yep. Yeah. Yep. There's a little bit. Um, we have. There's a know, little bit of Children of the Dam. Stop that's going bit. on at the moment. We also have. There's also in this, you know, the curiosity shop or the antique shop. Right. If, you know, they even did little things that if you were a fan of the show from the very beginning, they're added little things in there as well, like right. the little the, the the wooden soldier, and they got little stuff in there. Yes, I noticed that. I noticed that. And, you know, and remember, there's a lot of children in the dam between the baby Joseph, Michael, and then uh, and then and, and then well, of course Chris Pennock is the adult. But there was a lot of children in the dam within these two. They all had blonde hair and blue eyes. And they were both controlling and they were trying to, you know, and they were, you know, and they're trying to manipulate based on their narcissistic characters. And, and, and I did think, you know, when I first saw it, everybody is like Barnabas, please be nice, please be nice. But looking at it from a standpoint of looking at this 30 some odd years later, there was, I, I agree with you, Keith, there was an attempt by the writers to expand into into really into another era 
and it's and it's unfortunate that it wasn't appreciated uh, the way it was because the fans were locked into the Barnabas Josette and all the other the all the other syndrome. Now, now I'm sure I'm going to get I may, I may get letters. Fans may say I was wrong. I hated it. I hated it. I hated it. But looking at it, I agree with you that there were things that were overlooked, although 50 years later. Right. I do imagine that if I was younger and watching it, I probably I might not appreciate it. Because now I have so many reference points now anyway from, mm-hmm. you know, well, mm-hmm. for doing the show and from my love of horror and areas that I work in. So it probably gives me a different appreciation. But at the time... You know, if I was between the ages of five and 15, I wouldn't have those same reference points. Right. When the show was in for. But looking back on it, I said, they're saying this is a winner for me. I was like, I, and I was shocked. I wasn't expecting, I was, I, I expected to be really bored. And it's not over yet. I was too, because I heard such horrible things about it. And it's just like, now I like it probably just as much as, if not more than the Phoenix storyline and stuff like that, because Mm -hmm. there's so much going on. I'm so excited to have Quentin in here. We got these other storylines to cover. I mean, there's just so much going on in this block and it's so nice to see and it's refreshing and different. Quentin's coming yeah. back to life was a real was a real boost for the show because everybody wanted to see David Selby again. And of course, he comes back as Grant Selby as Grant Douglas originally. Right. And, uh, and then you, Barnabas you know, runs him down. It, <laughs> well, and and it just goes to show you the man has a driver's license. I don't know how the hell. I he didn't got even it. know Barnabas knew how to drive. Okay. <laughs> Me neither. The last time we saw it, Vicky was driving him uh, last year. I know he's not driven a car accident. like. Every- but this time, Barnabas was out to kill the person who was going out with Carolyn. He didn't know that it was Quentin. Uh, so uh, you know, so there you are. And all of a sudden, he's cleared, and there's no problem. And he ran away from the scene of an accident. <laughs> they leave a lot of dead bodies around Collinsport. I noticed, and there's not really too many inquests. <laughs> it's a very interesting. It's a very interesting take on it. They decided they were just going to get rid of. They were just going to get rid of all the old things because that would have taken another four or five months with the autopsy and everything. But uh, you know, but 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 Quentin survived, and that is a very very big addition to the show, as you're going to see uh, later on and in other scenes. But that's uh, you know, so that's that's the long and the short of it. But I agree with you. This is uh, looking at the Leviathans so far, and it's not over. It's not over. We go into the next block, right. and we're going to see other re- revelations in the Leviathan. Since uh, uh, Chris Pennock started in uh, five episodes before the end of his block, there's going to be a lot of other stuff with him. It's going to be very interesting. This brings us to scene number two, the tape portraits. Olivia Corey searches for the tape paintings. Julie allows Olivia to photograph her tape painting, leading to Olivia to a surprising discovery. Professor Stokes has the landscape paintings removed from the tape canvas, revealing a portrait underneath. Julia visits Harrison Monroe in the hopes of learning more about Charles Delaware Tate. Chris forces Tate to paint his portrait in order to save him from becoming a werewolf. Julia finds a tape painting in the possession of Sky Rumson, a new husband of Angelique. Angelique assures Julia that she is happily married and has given up her witchcraft. So, Tom, what are your thoughts of... 
the this Charles, is, uh, take closing up storyline. Sure. So this is uh, an interesting uh, plot B. Of course, we talked about plot A before, uh, but here Amanda Harris has come back. Uh, Donna McKechnie. Amanda Harris has come back as Olivia Corey. I love her. And uh, the first in the painting, the first painting, uh, which um, Professor Stokes has uh, another professor to uh, take care of, uh, and that will be in the blooper, and that will be in the uh, in the stars when I do the bloopers. Uh, turns out uh, that that is that first painting is the portrait of Amanda Harris, which was painted by Charles Delaware Tate. Uh, there is a second. Uh, a portrait that uh, and Charles Delaware Tate has lived all these years uh, as uh, Harrison Monroe and uh, Roger Davis uh, portrays a nice old man uh, a portrait and that is kind of like I kind of like I think that's kind of like the Wizard of Oz because uh, they they find behind out the where yeah that's right the man behind the curtain uh, they have that they have that uh, bullhorn in front of the house where Harrison Mymon Fairley is, what are you doing here? What are you doing? That that's a, that that's Wizard of Oz. That that's Wizard of Oz. And I like Julia how Stokes has a painting removed and placed on another canvas. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm a I love art history and stuff, but I have never seen that happen. Like well, take the painting off the other painting and put it on the other painting and another canvas. That just don't happen. Well, what he does. Well, what he does is he's painted one canvas over the Olivia Cor- the, over the Amanda Harris painting. He does another canvas, which is the exact duplicate, uh, and paints it over Quentin's portrait. And that goes. That yeah, was got what, Dorian Gray still going on in this. Exactly, one that's a Dorian Gray thing, and that goes through a New York auction. And Sky Rumson buys it at the request of Angelique uh, because she's so fascinated with it. And that's where Julia has to come to uh, the the island where Angelique and Sky Rumson live in order to get in order to get that other portrait. And it's kind of interesting to see the interchange between Lara Parker and uh, Grayson Hall because they were friends in 17, in, in, in the 1890s. Right. And now she's saying to her, and it's the healthiest thing I think the Angelique character has ever done in her life. She says, all right, you want the portrait? You can take it, but don't bother me again. I'm happy with this guy. I married yeah. this guy. I gave up my powers for him. Although later on... She, she does tried, not technically give up her powers. That's She's correct. She's just not using her powers. That's correct. Later on, we find out that she says, I still have my powers, but I haven't used it. But if he stops loving me, I'm going to lose my... I'm going to lose my mortality, and I'm going to be back to a witch. Right. Uh, so, it's a little, so it's a little confusing that way. But she's essentially saying to Julia, okay, do that. Don't tell Barnabas about anything. Leave me alone. I have a new life with a hap- with a guy who loves me, and I want to and I want to live it. And I'm willing to live a normal human life. So what does Julia do? She tells Barnabas the first chance she gets. He forced her to remember. <laughs> he forced her. To. He didn't do too much forcing, to be honest with you. She's in love with him. She'll do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah. I was a little disappointed in the Barnabas character because she didn't really care whether Angelique had a new life and she was. Well, he's a be- vampire. He's selfish. 
No, he's not no, a vampire in this point. But he's point. still it's no. sort of like being a dry drunk. You're still an asshole. You're just not well, drinking. Well, it's an interesting point you raised. <laughs> he certainly he certainly needs a 12-step uh as a human. I'll tell you that much because he's a human being, but but god damn it, he says to her I still, I still need this in order to help me out. You got to tell me everything. But he did say he wasn't going to cause her any harm, as she did say no. So yeah, well, know. wonderful, well, wonderful, and but the point, but the point was, is that he still made Julia break her promise. But on the other hand, Julia wasn't too strong there. Julia said no, she didn't put up a big fight. Did she, she didn't put up any fight. <laughs> she'll put up any fight. She'll get. She'll get. She'll go off the Brooklyn Bridge for the guy. Yeah, so, poor Julia. Such. I felt. I mean, you know, even up until the very end of Dark Shadows, your heart breaks for Julia because she's been a yes, love indeed, for thousands of episodes here with him. You know, she got an unrequited love for the guy. Yeah, and it's as simple as that. And he knows it, and he abuses it, and he uses it, and he abuses it. But you know, yeah, and he knows, oh, Julia will be helping me out so much, blah blah blah. Where- well, that's what I was texting Keith about, though. I, I go, you know, it's like all's forgiven. He bit Carolyn, had her under his power. I mean, all this shit happens and transpires, and everybody's just all good with each other. You know, I'll have water, blood under the bridge, however you want to look at it. Well, that's pure hypnotism as a result of the um, uh, the Leviathan. He's got Liz, he's got uh, Amy, he's got David. Uh, so he young... doesn't have Julia. Only some people are, uh, what is it? Uh, Correct. Co- com- immune. What is it? Immune. Compromised with the box? Well, yeah, but it seems like as far as Leviathan is concerned, it's oh, it oh, Barnabas only has control over the people that Leviathan wants him to have control over. So let's say that Barnabas decides, oh, I want to have control over Julia. Leviathan doesn't want Julia for whatever reason. Right. They never make it clear. And like Maggie, Leviathan doesn't want Maggie either as part of their group. Right. And there are people, there are people that are not, they're not allowed to be part of the group whatsoever. He wants Julia, but but they want Julia killed at first, and then they go back. The, the first thing was they wanted Julia killed. They wanted Barnabas to kill Julia. He refused to do it. That was a breaking point. And then uh, the Leviathan says, well, you don't have to kill her, but you have to control her. And, uh, but in the meantime, Liz gets the impression because uh, Michael is controlling her, and Michael wants Julia killed. So, so Liz takes the gun at her, but Lynn, but Liz can't do it because he, she remembers her so much that Julia actually has done. Uh, but, but, but the bottom line is, according to the rule book, there Leviathans are not to, are, not, are not supposed to kill mortals. Mortals that are akin to the Leviathan and believe in the Leviathan, but they're not quite Leviathan. Let the mortals do it. So they kind of hand that off. They kind of hand that off to the mortals. And uh, even, even Barnabas says, uh, says to Liz, you take care of Julia somehow. I thought that was a kind of a cop out uh, because uh, Barnabas didn't want to kill Julia. So he had, so he had Liz do it. So there's, you know, so there's a there's a complicated thing there, but getting back to the scene, um, you do see Roger Davis once again in the old in, in the uh, the Wizard of Oz. Young Charles Delaware Tate loses his head. Roger Davis tells me that that was one of the funniest things on Shadows, in that the in that is. And that they, they they did a fake head of his was supposed to fall off, and they had to keep redoing the scene because Roger was laughing so hard. 
but uh, you you know, but the but the bottom line is it's an, it's an interesting thing that uh, Chris Jennings uh, winds up winds up trying to get Charles Delaware Tate to do his paint to do his portrait. Charles Dave, Charles does it doesn't work, and then as the werewolf, uh, Charles is essentially killed. Uh, what I also thought was very interesting was the interplay between Quentin and Chris, the great grandson of Quentin, although he didn't know it at the time. And so I think that's, uh, you know, that's, you know, that's, that's very interesting. Um, so I think that this is, this is a nice, this is a nice little part B plot in that we see that Angelique is truly trying for the first time, trying to find a new life in forgetting about Barnabas altogether. And they can't let her. First Julia reports her. First Julia comes to her. Then Barnabas uh, visits her and asks that Carolyn be, uh, because Carolyn is in danger from Chris. So that, so uh, Barnabas says Julia to keep Carolyn in the house. Uh, so, I think that was good. I think that was novel from a standpoint that Julie, that Angelique was trying to finally, and Keith, you can comment on this from your psychological uh, expertise, but, but Angelique is trying to get away. She's trying to get a new life. She does it for the first time. She doesn't want to go with this anymore. And Barnabas draws her back in. What are your opinions on that? I think if Angelica really wanted to get away, that she probably should have moved to Utah. <laughs> That's you what? That's you what? Um, I, I mean, it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, for someone who op- opposes and de- despises someone so much as Barnabas does for Angelique, he's always asking for a favor from her. Yeah. You know, and the thing, and, you know, and the thing is, is like, I mean, I mean, I guess this is, I mean, this is quite an innocent favor anyway, because it's not like he's asking to use her powers. It's just like, can you take Carolyn for a couple of days for, mm-hmm. while we take care of the mess at home? Right. Mm-hmm. But, but at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, there are so many places that they could have stuck her into. I mean, there, you know, I mean, Carolyn could have gone to, I don't know, Stokes's house. Why don't they just go to Europe? They're rich. I don't understand why they have to stay in freaking Maine. Well, no one's gone to Banger in a while. They so <laughs> haven't gone to Bang anybody yet, have they? Well, Christ, it's just like go somewhere else. These people could go around the world or whatever, or do something cool. No, we're going to go to 50 miles up the street. No one in New York to have a shopping center. But Carolyn doesn't want to leave anyway because of the, because of her mourning anyway. Which right. Mean. Right. But, but the, you know, but it's kind of like, um, I mean, it's good to see Angelique in a normal and she's sitting there just doing a little needlepoint, just waiting for her. I liked it. Home. I really and liked it for the first time. She was I, 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 I liked it a lot as well. And, you know, it's quite good just to see her in normal clothing and just kind of like kicking back, being happy. And, you know, so, I, you know, I did like it and stuff like this. But, you know, the Charles Tate Delaware storylines, it's quite interesting in, it, in itself because it kind of reminded me of a night gallery gallery. Episode. Yes. Good point. Good it, point. Could, it kind of sort of has that vibe, don't it? That's what I liked about it. It's kind of like, Oh, you know, like, the, you know, like those, you know, hush, hush, sweet Charlotte when the head gets cut off and you see the head rolling across. And, 
you know, and mm-hmm. then and then just like the old, you know, he's like an old man, but yet he's portraying himself as a young man and so on and so forth. And I quite I liked all that. This is like, and I like the idea that they were able to, and they and they. This is what I thought Dark Shadows did fantastically well. Again, in this, I think this is one of the best blocks we ever covered because what we get now is we can we're closing a storyline in a very interesting way normally what happens i mean you know we you know we've been to the 1700s they come back it's like we, everything's just like all these Nothing. threads are left hanging you know and here they're, they're closing up the threads but in a very interesting way and then actually taking a nod that you know we are in 1897 which is not that far away from where we are at the moment in the in present time which i like that as well you know, it's like, oh, we're only looking at, you know, we're only looking at 60 years. We're only looking at 60, 70 years. 70, actually. Oh, yeah. And I have to tell you, if you think this is good, wait till, and again, it's a spoiler for the new fans, but the old fans know exactly about it. Wait till we get to parallel time. Yeah. Wait till we get to a parallel universe where they all made different decisions. And that is fascinating. So as good as this is, and of course it's going to get better because we're going to see uh, the return of a beloved evil character in this bo- in the next block or the following block. I'm not going to say who this is. And it's a favorite of mine. And I agree with you completely, but wait, wait, wait. It is not over yet. It's going to get even better. So, I, I, But I am glad that you like this because, and you may get some flack from fans who didn't see what it had. But when you look at it again, you do see certain things, I agree with you, that were that were novel and experimental. And kudos to Violet Wells, the writer who uh, who tried into this, and also Gordon Russell. But I think Violet Wells was a lot better in terms of writing some of this stuff. And Violet Wells once again was on the first year, contributed significantly to that. So, uh, but even wh- the lighting design is different in this block. Yes, yes. Yeah, Although you still have the way on the colors that they're using and. You know, and there's a lot of thought process. Even in if even if you look at the style of clothing that they got everyone wearing, mm-hmm. they paid a lot of attention. Maybe that's the reason why Orbox is not so heavily associated with these clothing because it's like it seems like what they've done is they wanted people to look and dress a certain way. I mean, you know what. I mean, for instance, you know, it's what I found quite interesting is, and I don't know if this has anything to do with it, but Scooby-Doo was an ABC program that started in 1969. Right. And then we, there, there are times where, you, where Carolyn, when she's like investigating about her dad and stuff like this, and she's kind of in a, a little Daphne outfit. <laughs> you know kind I mean? of, sort yeah. of. Yep. Yeah. Little mini, the mini dress and the little boots, and she's like, you know, she's look, you know, she's trying to figure out what's going on with their dad, and it's like, oh, I wonder if they they did not to Scooby because they're both ABC at that time, so who knows? So we but, also um, see, we also see because again, this is not one of the scenes, but it's another scene. But the relationship between Carolyn and Paul Stoddard really is a very healthy. He's he's reaching out. He is candorous. He knows he fucked up. He is, he is, he's extremely candid. She loves him and she wants to get to know him better. And this is against Liz, of course, who's under the influence of the Leviathan and doesn't want to know, but you really, really see that he is very, the, uh, and this is of course the last time you will see Dennis Patrick 
on Dark Shadows in the role of Jason McGuire after he's uh, done in in this uh, block. But he is, but the but the character there is he's really he really wants to make up to her. He really loves her, and there's uh, something very very healthy here. That unfortunately, with all the neuroses and psychoses and dark shadows, you don't see this too often. So it's a nice refresher, in my opinion. This brings us to scene three, Quentin's story. The ghost of Collins warns Karis Jennings that he must find Quentin. A science is held to contact Quentin. Barnabas is concerned that Carolyn is infatuated by a stranger. Julia recognizes the stranger only goes by the name of Grant Douglas, but he cannot recall his past. Grant's possessions give no clue to his identity, and Olivia wants to help him. David recognizes Grant as Quentin. Hoping to restore his memory, Julia and Olivia go to Grant to show him Amanda's portrait. Grant and Chris Jennings go together to Tate's house in an effort to learn some answers. Olivia tells Julia that Mr. Best gave her a long life, promising if she finds Quentin, they'll live eternally. Julia reveals Quentin's portrait to Grant. Quentin remembers who he is. Mr. Best will allow him and Amanda to be together under certain certain circumstances. Amanda and Quentin enter the nether realm and must find themselves back to the natural realm. So, Vix, what are your thoughts of the Quentin story? I love this story. I thought they did a lot of different stuff with this. I thought it was fantastic. And it really, for the, I mean, we knew, we knew Quentin as, you know, the drunken playboy kind of thing. But now he's actually got uh, uh, feelings, you know, which he didn't have before. You didn't really see him. And he even mentions like, well, everything I've ever done is in that portrait, you know, and it gets all ugly and stuff when they're looking at it. You know, so that sort of it is it's it's really Dorian Gray, but he's not the evil Dorian Gray. He's actually a good Dor- he's he's matured through a, the last 70 so years that he's been alive and apparently. But where has he been? Did, did, did they ever? I mean, he wasn't with Amanda, so he's just been traveling around because they they separated on the bridge. When that's when Mr. Best, she threw herself off the bridge. Amanda did. Mr. Best went and claimed her and helped her and all this other stuff. And. Well, he must have hit his head or something because he's actually had amnesia because he thinks he's somebody else. So, well, it's because he got run down by Barnabas. <laughs> Barnabas hit him with a car. Oh, so but so when he so did he know that he was Quentin when he met Carolyn? That's what I don't know because there's, I mean, he we really didn't show him as Quentin yet. No, and I so can't. he comes into the picture. He gets you know Barnabas mows him down with a car. Because he doesn't want Carolyn having any other love interest at this point. And that's what happens with that. And I I was kind of confused about that a little bit. But, I mean, that was the whole point. She's got to make him, Amanda's got to make Quentin realize who they are so they can be together forever. And apparently that doesn't come to fruition. It's kind of a cruel thing, though, isn't it? Because... They can't, they can't touch, touch each other. Yeah, they can't touch each other, which is kind of a cruel thing. It's mean. He's really a mean reap, Grim Reaper. I think that's who he's supposed to be. But he's death, right? I mean, I loved it when they went into the netherworld and they, you know, she gets caught, she gets stopped by the, the spider, and, and they're going across the bridge. I love that. That was fun. It reminded me of monster movie matinee growing up. A little like bit. It looked like the monster matinee movie set with the little bridge and the whatever is up on top. Yeah. 
And I loved it. I think I think the whole thing was brilliant. And I love how it was different. That's again another block where they tried. It was something, something totally different. different. It was more refre- it. it's refreshing because that they actually kind of they put it out there. And you know, like I said, I couldn't remember it was Orpheus and Eurydice. I was trying, I knew it was a myth mythological legend, and I just could not remember which one it was. But I mean, he goes into the underworld to get Eurydice, you know, and bring her out. But he loses her. He never does bring her out, which is really sad because I wanted Quentin to be happy. If anybody deserves to be happy, it's Quentin. <laughs> it's like, yeah. let the man have something for God's sake. And it was it was a strong way to bring him back because we didn't spend like. Do you remember when um, we got Roger Davis back and you know, come in prior time to you know, Victoria and we had that. Just went on forever. Like, yeah, you know, and this is very sharp and sweet. It was like you know, you got Quentin, but at the same time, Quentin's kind of getting involved about what's going on and that sort of thing. But at the same time, he's still trying. You know, he's he's not wishy washy either. That's what I liked about him. Is no. like he's determined to figure out who he is, and once he figures out who he is, he's like, okay, I know who I am now. And then I'm going do this, and then he figures out who Amanda is or Olivia. Maybe slash Amanda, and it's like okay, and I like that. I I, li- I think the way they brought the brought, able to bring him in was so fun and so yeah, yeah, it was. It really, well, I really enjoyed it a lot. It, it was nice to see. I mean, I like the fact that Quentin is. A, I mean, not that Barnabas is wishy washy because he sometimes is, but but Quentin's like solid hellfire constantly. You know, he's always rebellious. He's always gonna. He's he's just not a big pussy in any capacity, and he's always there to arise to any occasion. Eventually, you know, sort mm-hmm. of like helping out uh, the family because he realizes that well, this is his family might not be. His 1897 family, but his family nonetheless. Now, I did find funny that Donna McKechnie's um, picture. That Donna McKechnie picture, if you bought a chorus line, if you want to sell a chorus line, in your <laughs> vision, um, if you want the playbill, that's her. That's her. That's, that's her. her is that her real? Is that her? That's the real eight picture? by ten. Yeah. So yeah. if you see like, like if you see like the if you see like a playbill of uh, promises, promises, because she started in that on Broadway, right. Um, she was kind of the muse for Michael Bennett. Michael gotcha. Bennett um, choreographed the chorus line, and he course promises, promises, and um, and various other shows he does. Um, Dream Girls is another Michael Bennett. Right. Um, but she was like the she's like his muse, and they're really good friends and stuff like this. And but if you look at old playbills and stuff like that, that's her eight by ten glossy, which is quite funny because she had it all at one point. She had it all over the house. Is like oh, I know. I was trying to figure out why she had her photos all over. I was wondering if it was something that was necessary to keep her in the world, and but I don't know. Acting. Did, well, didn't you also see eight by tens of uh, Vicky? Uh, to, when when uh, Alexandra Mulkey was on, you had her eight by ten of Vicky, and I think that they use those glasses. You know, honestly, I don't have eight by tens of myself myself personally up anywhere. I've got pictures with the kids. I wish you did. I ordered one. I ordered one. But well, I mean, I don't. I don't have them up all over the house. Like, look at me. <laughs> I really thought her character was going to be like because yeah, she has all her pictures of her, and she'd be like, "Oh, enough about me. What do you think about me?" <laughs> Look at me in my pictures. Look at me in my shrine to myself. That's funny. That's funny. Oh shit! I, I mean, to be honest, I mean, I imagine that's probably what it's like when you go to Madonna's house. <laughs> yeah, she's probably got pictures of herself all over. Well, she's got all those table books, so you know she's got framed pictures somewhere. You know. Yeah. 
but um but yeah and um and i really thought donna mckechnie was very strong as well i love yes, her i, I love agree. her character i love yes, how I they agree. wrote this She's a lot stronger in this storyline than she was in the previous story she was yes wet yes story. she was kind of a wet noodle but now she's kind of like a heroine of sorts she's still scared but you know they didn't do the entire ankle breaking like they do with most women. I was really happy though that they got that they did the the netherworld kind of thing and that you had death watching. I thought I was watching Final Destination a little bit, but in the 1969 1970s genre. Mm-hmm. But I mean it was it, it was still sad because the myth is sad. And so you know anybody does anything, you know it's not going to be a happy ending. Well, see, the Orpheus and Eurydice thing, and I think that that was what this uh, what this scene. I, it is. I looked it up because I could not remember the name of. The, I love Greek myth, but I mean, he went, he goes into the underworld to bring her back, and at and the last they have to moment, go all this, yeah. At the last moment, and it's kind of and it's kind of cool. I enjoyed the Cy Thomas set that they did as 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 she was uh, as both of them were going through the. Uh, underworld on the way back and uh, they held on to each other by Quentin's jacket because I was wondering how that was going to be. But the but the fun thing was is that at the very end and why did Quentin say to her hey listen there's a misstep don't worry about it. you know you know go across it he didn't tell her so she goes through so she goes through the step he holds her in order to and that's it and that's it when the minute he touches her in order yeah. to save her she uh, they are they are they are gone forever it's so cruel it was so cruel it was a cruel myth most greek myths are Roman myths aren't any better, but I mean the way he, the way they incorporated it into the script, it's just cruel. <laughs> maybe, maybe anything in any religion. What when has God ever been good? There's always no God, God is a cruel God. God no matter what, especially the old, well, the old Testament God is the old test. The God of the Old Testament is a vicious person. <laughs> the Old Testament God is an eye for an eye. Yeah, and uh, well, that kind a, of way that that way too. You know that kind of thing. Yeah. But what I liked, and, well, and look, I liked look, your first look at look what God did to Lot's wife. It's like you know, don't whatever you do, don't, don't look, look back. back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pillar of salt stuff. You know, uh, show them a Gomorrah. You know, yeah. that but that's the thing. first thing you want to do. If if God never said don't look back, you never would have looked back. Well, I mean, he was nuking the two cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. So, That's you know, right. it's like, I think I would have looked back. That's think, right. Think about it. And like, you would have been a pillar of we've salt. We've been in a situation where we've been in a restaurant. And so it goes, don't look now, but such and but such. But it's just like. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Don't give it away, but at least try <laughs> to be. You know. Don't look now. If that person told you not to look, you wouldn't even look. So but I have to tell you, I have to tell you, and for the fans, you know, Keith lays this out in advance in scenes so we can look and we can recollect and so forth. And the first sentence that Keith had here is the ghost of Jenny Collins warns Chris Jennings that he must find Quentin. This is a very, very precipient comment because we finally see another scene where Marie Wallace plays Jenny, uh, one of her favorite roles and yeah. this, of course, was gone. She was killed and everything like that. And she is now, and of course, in this block, she is now Megan Todd. And it's nice that she fluffs her hair out. So she looks really sexy from the time, from the original thing where she put everything in a bun. But isn't it so nice to see Jenny 
uh, as she originally was, crazy Jenny, not the, uh, you know, not the former Jenny that right. was so sweet. Crazy Jenny, in, in one scene, warns her great-grandson, because he is, the Chris Jennings is her great-grandson, that he, that, that he must find Quentin, and she's still trying to protect him. I think that is very, very, uh, that is very, very nice uh, for this show. And I don't know if a lot of fans realize that, but I think they do because they always felt that the character of Jenny was one of the best things that Maria Wallace ever did on shadows. Uh, and, um, as far as the rest of this is concerned, um, you know, basically if Carolyn and Chris dated, they be, they're like, Kissing cousins, yes, for a while, for a while. But Carolyn realized kind of he was—he wasn't for her. He wasn't for her because he was too crazy, and he was. Uh, I have to break the date. I'm going to become a werewolf. You know that kind of thing. I can't or, tell you. Or knowing Carolyn wasn't crazy enough. <laughs> <laughs> her, her boyfriend's all. I think Joe's the only norm. The only norm she's ever dated, isn't it? Yeah. No, of course not. Didn't you like the fact? And what I liked, and I know it was part of this scene where uh, Quentin actually meets Chris as the werewolf, and it's a part of his that's block. Right. I don't know whether that was a first, but that was a first. Well, that's uh, but he didn't know it was Chris, though. No, well, of course he didn't. No, of course no, he didn't. And Chris is his grandson. Mm-hmm. Great grandson, right? Great grandson. The greatest great grandson. Well, if he would have had a child, probably would be grandson because it's only 70 years in the grand scheme of things. Could be grand, great, whatever. Well, let's let's see. So we're talking about Jameson was the grandfather, uh, was the father of Elizabeth and Roger. Um, I'll figure it out. But there's either, but he's either. If you think that, I'm just in there saying if Jameson. Is the father of Elizabeth, and mm-hmm. Elizabeth has Carolyn, and Carolyn and Chris are around the same age. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's why I thought it was a grandson because obviously they're only, they're the they're not the next Elizabeth's the next generation. They're the like, they're the generation afterwards, aren't they? Right, and Quentin is the brother, and Quentin um, and James and James and Jenny, and, um, then Quentin's child. Right, Quentin and Jenny, and that's Lenore, and Lenore is the grandmother. So Quentin is the great grandfather, of course. And, um, and can't they dye that woman's hair? Is it Chris's? What's her name? Who? Oh, Chris's. Uh, Chris's first love interest. What's her name? Oh, oh Sabrina. Sabrina. They could. They had hair dye in 1969 and 1970. They keep. Bringing, why don't they? She likes that. She likes that mad look. She makes one appearance on this block, and that's uh, Sabrina. And the sh- you know, she makes one one opinion, uh, one one appearance on this block. Yeah, and quite frankly, uh, and they have to get her back to the nut house. It's a little disappointing. Nut <laughs> her in. All of a sudden, she's walking. All How of a does sudden she get she's out walking. of the nut house? The last you know, time we saw her, she was in a wheelchair. All of a sudden, she's walking. Boy, did Professor Stokes do a job on her. Uh, but all of a sudden, she's walking and warning, uh, and warning people walking and talking. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I remember when, when, when that place was supposed to be a hundred miles away about three years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's like all of a sudden, it's in the walking distance. Since you well, have this, 
I think all, I think the only thing Professor Stokes did is get rid of her incestuous brother. Yeah. <laughs> He's, he hasn't shown up. He doesn't seem to be anywhere to be found but, uh, uh, late. Sort of thing, but yeah, I mean, the thing is, is I mean, I mean, that that was weird before they went into 1897 anyway, and it's, it's still kind of odd. Yeah, it is. It is. Since you have it you in this block, like, since you have it in this block, you talk about Mr. Best, and so that was played by Emery Best, who is yeah. death. And um, that is kind of like a to me, it's like a ripple from the Twilight Zone. Uh, it's a rip-off of something. I haven't put my finger on it yet, though. I think it's Twilight Zone with death and... Uh, it could be. It could be that one. Oh, what's his name? Um, well, death uh, always was like a bit of a dandy, isn't he? So, yeah, but, did, yeah. Yeah. And he did a voiceover, actually. Emery Best did a voiceover for Dark Shadows, which is... Uh, uh, in the in the beginning, which is which some is, of the voiceovers at the beginning of each of these episodes were the best they've ever been. What's that? The the voiceover work that was done before each of these episodes and this block is probably the best voiceover narrations ever done for the show. Then you have to compliment uh, Grayson Hall. Yes. did a lot of voiceovers. I, I counted. She, she was just superb through all of this, no matter what. I still love it, though. She ever, Almost every other episode, she has to go get her medical bag. It's like, oh, well, who's she going <laughs> to shoot up for this episode? <laughs> that doesn't change. And, you know, when she has to try and revitalize Michael... Who oh, is, that's uh, right. I forgot deal. about that. And she, she doesn't even have a crash cart, and she uses a... She uses she uses a syringe to try. <laughs> to I know. Try, what is she? Try, she did I was I laughing like crazy. The, the kid is dead, and she's using a crash, and she's using a syringe. Oh, what the, the hell the is she best, injecting him with, Keith? Oh, the best thing is when she goes to Quentin's. Like, we need, you know, can you come with me? So Quentin goes with her, bring a shovel. And yeah. She's, <laughs> <laughs> they're digging up Michael's grave, and she's just standing there like the queen with her handbag. <laughs> <laughs> I know she's always got her handbag. She's got her handbag like with her at all times, and it's it just cracks me up because women used to have those bags, you know. Well, my grandmother had those bags, you know what I mean. The queen still has that bag. Whenever yeah, you have- God love her. Yes, she <laughs> does. To me, I think that all these uh, that all these people who dug up graves can take up part time jobs as grave diggers and make a lot of money for the kind of uh, for the kind of work that they do. Well, they never uh, get dirty. You don't dig them. I mean, I could bury somebody six inches under the ground too, man. There's there's just no end. They don't go two feet or nothing. They're just like right there, sub below the surface. This way, what's even more impressive is that they dig them up and they don't get dirty. I mean, look at Quinn. No, it's great. It's great. They get a box. It's like I say, the werewolf is is the best dressed werewolf I've ever seen in Dark Shadows. Except when he turned human and his clothes are ripped. It's like, how did they get ripped? <laughs> <laughs> well, Quentin's clothes got ripped because he got a fight because he had a fight in a bar, and that was oh, kind of, that was really kind of cute. I like how Quentin really... gets in a fight with Jeb in this one, though. Or was that? Was it? A, th- yeah, I it was think that's later. No, that's was it later. Uh, it was nine forty, wasn't it? No, oh yeah. That's, that's, the next or is it the next one? It is okay. the next one. I think it's the next one. But uh, you know, but but at this point, uh, 
because I saw 1,025. So I was motoring, okay? Oh, you're really, <laughs> oh, you're really <laughs> going ahead there, Vicky. I compliment you. My God. No, uh, I, I wanted to go ahead. I fought, I fought, my, I went one, one episode more than I needed to. Nah, I'm only, I'm only up to like 996, actually. I want the fans to know that we go through between 40 and 44 episodes on the clip right now. And luckily, on this particular clip, for some reason, three episodes were combined into one. There must yeah, what was a- with that? I have a feeling it was RFK's assassination, but I can't tell for but sure. But this is 1969. Was it around that time? Yeah, was it, yeah. Was it, that's what month did. was it? That's when it could have been. You know. could be right. Yeah, I don't know. That's when he died. But I think that had a lot to do with it. And then there was another episode that was two in one. So that certainly helped us. I out, noticed that on Tubi when I was watching a set episode. The, the Vietnam War is going at the same could have been time. Too. Of course, of course. That always could have been Vietnam. There was a always, whole lot going on back in 1969 and 70. That always uh, Christmas as well. But this is December 1969 and January 1970. That's what the okay, okay. It would probably be the Vietnam War because the the primaries and stuff for California and all that area was were over by then. The Manson trial, so starting Manson trial was over in 971. We're still doing the Manson trial till 71. That's right. That's right. Yeah, but kudos to Emery Best because I think he did a very good job as Mr. Death. He does. And he did a fantastic job. I, I enjoyed his his little, you know. Yeah. Um, who played the, um, this is a question, who played the bellhop guy? Brian oh, yeah. Sturdivant. Who that? Brian Sturdivant. And uh, he was on for a couple episodes, and I think he went on to a couple of other movies in 73, but I think his career was kind of brief. i got to look into his, his, his issue, his uh, history a little more. But Brian Sturdivant was very interesting in terms of his British accent and uh, in terms of... an odd face. Yeah, he did, and he was like yeah. a very angry bellhop. <laughs> He was not happy well, being stuck I, I think between was, worlds. I think he <laughs> I thought he had a monkey mask on at first. <laughs> I, I, I thought he was weird looking at first until I caught the hat, but he obviously he, does not like his job in between worlds. But he was annoyed at Amanda because he said, you know, you were lucky. You got to live 70 years after yeah. uh, the death fished you out from under the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah. Because I really think that scene where she and met where Amanda and Quentin went met on the bridge and they were right. in New York. I think that was a Brooklyn Bridge. Uh and that's my own particular It take could on. be. It could be. That's that a, they were in New York. Take. Yeah, exactly. That was my own There wasn't the Verrazano Narrows and all that stuff had not been Oh put up no, yet. no way. That was that was a century later. Yeah. Uh, and I don't think the Manhattan Bridge was... Uh, I don't was, think it was up yet either. No, no. so it was the Brooklyn Bridge. It had and to be, because that was the only thought, structure. Like, there was one other structure, but I don't think it was in Brooklyn. Exactly. So that has to be what that is. That's a Williamsburg Bridge. But I think that was the Brooklyn Bridge. And uh, it was it, it was really That's kind a of really big jump, too. It doesn't look like it when you see pictures of it, but that will kill you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That will definitely kill you. Exactly. But I, I'm, I'm surprised that Brian Sturdivant didn't go on to other stuff, and I'm going to research uh, other stuff. for. You might have. Did. You might have just lost track of him. But, but anyway, that was him, and uh, I thought he did a pretty interesting job uh, considering, 
you know, considering what he was given. And, uh, you know, he really, uh, you know, he really kind of, he, he, he stood out. And I think he stood out because of his accent. I really do. I really do because he remember said, that, was of, that a real Cockney accent? Yeah, I think. So. Well, I because think every so. time I hear Cockney accents, I go, "Oh no, here goes another Cockney accent." <laughs> so more I Cockney so. accents. I think so. I will. I will. I will certainly look into that. Keith, your story. Your your uh, your take. Now we're going to scene four, the Paul Stoddard story. Paul panics when he sees the Nega mark on his wrist. Um, A sailor at the Blue Whale was horrified to see the mark on Paul's wrist. Barnabas reminds Paul of the bargain he made 20 years ago. Carolyn and Paul decide to leave Collinwood, but Elizabeth invites Paul to stay. Paul realizes that neither Elizabeth nor anyone else believes his warnings. Roger becomes furious at Elizabeth for allowing Paul to stay at Collinswood. Stoke finds Paul, after he has collapsed and takes him to the police, Barnabas arranges Paul's escape from Collinwood. Paul flees to the antique shop. Professor Stokes finds Paul in a state of shock and unable to speak. Paul is attacked and Paul meets his demise. So, Tom, what are you thinking of the Paul Stoddard storyline? It's an interesting um, denouement um, regarding, uh, regarding this whole thing. I think they had to get I think I had to get rid of him eventually, uh, but um, what I think that th- that uh, Dennis Patrick, who played Paul and who, uh, who of course played Jason McGuire in the first year, uh, really did uh, a, a very good job, especially towards the end. And you have to I thought say he did an outstanding long. job this What's time that? around, especially. Right. Yeah. He, he didn't. He, he, he didn't he, say he, too many he, lines. He didn't have to say too many lines in the last couple episodes. Well, he's he going did. so crazy. He knows what's going on. He knows there's danger. He knows what's and everybody's just saying no, no, no. You know, and he's so you feel his frustration. You know, he's so frustrated. He he finds he's got he's finally got his daughter. He's finally got a relationship with her, and he wants to protect her, and he can't. And he, I don't even think he realized he made the pact with whomever twenty years before. It oh, doesn't he's seem like he even knew it. what he was talking about. Jonathan Frid reminded him of it. And, and again, the thing about this block that I really like about the Barnabas character is I've never seen him smile so much. I have forgotten it completely. I think he's up having to, a good time, tell you the truth. Up to that point, the only time he smiled was when Nicholas Blair met his demise. And regarding Nicholas Blair fans, just remember, let's remember that name. But anyway, yeah. in the event, uh, but anyway, when it comes down to it, uh, I think that, uh, and of course, it went back to a 90, 1949 flashback where uh, Mr. Death met, best met uh, Blue Paul Whale. And did the, and, and I think they handled that well. They had the old radio and the Blue Whale and so forth. And uh, they really handled that well. But I think with Jonathan's brilliance, Jonathan's brilliance really comes up when he says, uh, and of course it's the writer's thing, but he says, uh, you're, you know, you're your daughter's precious possession. It's your precious possession. Your daughter, yeah. And that's really Carolyn. And up to that point, 
Paul Stoddard really didn't realize that they wanted her. He thought that they wanted him. And that's a very, and, and, and of course, that's in front of Carolyn. You're your daughter's precious possession, aren't you? And you see the look on uh, Dennis Patrick's face, very, very nicely, nicely done. And uh, Carolyn and Paul decide to leave. You know, there's a back and forth between Carolyn and Paul. Deciding Are these leave. guys sub-dwellers? Are they like subterranean dwellers, right? Who's that? The, uh, the Leviathan that's after they're Carolyn. They're in, the, they're in the underworld. They're in the okay. underworld. It's lots of water. What's that? They're based on water as well. They're they would have water. to be based on water, wouldn't they? Yeah. And uh, Angelique uh, mentions that. To well, Julia. she knows that she goes, oh, fudge, you guys have got yourself in the soup this time. Yeah, that's for sure. Genuinely, you know, what the hell are you dealing with them for? What the hell are you dealing with them for? Go ahead. And they also gave you a bit of a hint anyway when the sailor recognizes the mark on Paul's. So obviously, it's a sea. It's a sea. That well, was another. I'm liking out his name, but that was another <laughs> actor who went on to do other stuff, Pelham Bay One Two Three, and uh, and other things. But that was another uh, actor that got his start on Dark Shadows, and I'll probably and I'll probably talk about that in the bloopers. Um, but uh, the you know the and, and the inter, the interplay between. Uh, Liz and Paul was interesting. You know, I didn't get too much with it with Roger because Roger says, I hate you anyway. I don't want to know from you. But the interplay between Paul and Liz was interesting. And, but of course, Liz at, was a Leviathan and she had to, and she was completely into it. And Everybody's she like to, the Stepford wives, too. I mean, male yes. and female. It's just like, I'm just going to do yes. whatever this dude says because he says I have to. And it's just like, God, I'm just the rebelliousness in me. It's just like, no one's the boss of me. Yeah, but they're, you know, Leviathan work on as a hive mind, though. They're all working as one mind, apparently. Yeah, that's, that's true. Kind of like the Borg on Star Trek, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's the same. It's the same kind of thing, but the difference I mean, Paul's is Paul's funeral. I'm going to have to take my hats off onto Elizabeth Stoddard's outfit. I mean, what a fantastic morning dress that she had on! It's like, oh, <laughs> that's really good. Yeah, well, they used to wear stuff like that, though. Yeah, but she, I mean, that was well cut and well looking. I mean, we're talking about. I mean, you know, I mean. She just outdressed everyone, and it's like you have the whole block just with that one outfit. It's like even yeah. at the funeral. I mean, she. I mean, she. She even outdid her. She even outdid Carolyn that funeral just by her dress. <laughs> I mean, the talk about cheap ass coffins, though. I mean, here they are rich. <laughs> they put them in a pine box. You know, it's not even a nice shiny casket. Something maybe he was Jewish, and you never even know. Well, maybe, you know? but he should have been buried standing up then, right? <laughs> Isn't that how they do it? But it, it's so cheap and tawdry. Get the guy something more than cardboard. This was her father. <laughs> you know, it's I would have had a snit. Well, I mean, another thing that I mean, Paul's death has created a problem, though, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Because Paul was supposed to give Carolyn away at the wedding, according to the so now book. So now they want Barnabas to give her away, right? 
Well, now they do. But originally, according well, to the book, according to the Leviathan that, book, it has of, to be Paul. Paul was supposed to give Carolyn away, according to the original Leviathan book. When he was killed, that screwed up everything. Now Barnabas has to give her away. Well, but... Barnabas thinks he's the person who has to give her away because he, they're making it up as they go along. No mm-hmm. one, no one, no one's talked to those bald-headed dudes with the robes, have they? About what well, Oberon we're, comes we're and goes. Oberon doesn't stick around yeah. much. He just comes long enough to be bossy, and then he takes off again. Make they a few threats, then leave. Bill, you know? Bill and Ted's um, not ex- um, bogus journey when de- when they're with death. <laughs> <laughs> they did a bottle episode. I love point. that where they take him everywhere and he's playing. <laughs> they did a bottle episode at one point where Barnabas is telling Julia everything because Julia finally yeah, said, I saw that. everything. I like that. And so they and, and it was good because the fans really needed because it was the plot. Well, that's so ahead complex. of our isn't that tell me, was that that's a couple episodes ahead, wasn't it? Uh, no, 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 no. Did it happen in this block, or was that? Ahead? Yes, it did. Yes, it did. Okay, I get it. There's so many that I watched in the last it, week. It I did guess. happen in this block, and the interest. And so they went. They did an 1897 flash. I love that Julia and Barnabas are in cahoots again. Sucked up into the painting of Josette. Right, right. right. They did. An I like that. That was excellent. That was really. Yeah, good. Yeah, it was very well done. They did a 1997 flashback first with Roger Davis and Charles Elwood. Right, right, right. Then they did the 1795, and it was essentially a replay of the scene with Oberon, where Oberon told them what was going to happen and so forth. And uh, that that brought everybody up to date because there were so many things going on. You didn't really remember, why the hell is Barnabas still... Um, still acclimated to uh, the Leviathan. And the bottom line was because he was lied to when he was told Josette was is, was in prison, when Josette, in fact, died all along. Yeah, but he and, still thinks up until this point she's alive, correct? That's correct. That's okay. correct. And he was really, and he was really duped. He's a little naive. He still tends to, he still has that little bit of naivete that he had before he became a vampire. And you would that. think that all those years in that casket locked in there, he would have had some kind of time to think. Listen, <laughs> if he had a bad back like I had, you, you uh, up to. Or did he uh, achieve a form of desiccation? He didn't. Can desiccate. you imagine if, if he, uh, you know, I was just thinking, because I've had a bad back from time to time and I've had to say, but can you imagine if he had a bad back? Julia, I can't get up. (laughs) I've fallen and I can't reach my glass. Please get me some blood from the hospital. That would have been so easy. He wouldn't have to attack people. He wouldn't have to go through this nonsense. It would have been. It would have been. It would have been really. It would have been really fun. But but getting back to getting back to you, Keith, based on Paul Stoddard's story. Um, I kind of, and of course, you will see little, little uh, for the fans, uh, for the new fans, little stuff in the next block to see that Paul Stoddard has not been forgotten. That's all I can tell you about. Yeah. But the bottom line is that, um, the bottom line is that, uh, you know, they had sooner or later they had to get rid of him. Uh, I thought that that was one thing I thought was a real blooper that when he was staying in Professor Stokes' house, try, you know, Professor Stokes 
never tried to change his clothes. The guy's suit was totally torn up and rent. And is this uh, when the cop comes back to life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to ask yeah. Keith. I go, who the hell is that? I am I didn't so even... glad you mentioned that. Ed I didn't Riley. even put two and two together. I go, Keith. I go, what's the deal with the dead dude? Because I was like, going, who is this? Because Ed I didn't Riley even notice as, it was the cop. I'm very glad you mentioned that. F. Ridley as Sharon Davenport, and uh, he oh. he was himself in a few in two or three episodes. Then he was killed by the Leviathan, but the Leviathan is able to bring. Uh, people back from the dead to in order to support him. And uh, he did that with Riley. And you're going to see, and you're going to see Sheriff uh, Davenport in a few more episodes as a zombie. Uh, And that's, uh, you know, and that, and that's where it goes. I believe that Ed, that, that Ed Riley may have played another Character prior to the Sheriff Davenport character, but I have to read, the, but I have to look that up. But the bottom line is, is that what a great gig! I mean, yeah. he played, he got to play himself, he got to play himself for a few episodes, and then he comes back as a zombie, working for uh, working for uh, Jeb, and so that, and, and so that's where that is, and you're going to see some stuff in the next block regarding that, which I think will be kind of fun. So and I think that adds to the I think that adds to the flavor of this block in that what really, you know, I, I have to say the fans were completely obsessed on Barnabas being a good guy. Well, he turns into a good guy in this block. Yeah. Because he goes to, he tells Julia everything. He says, I've got to, you know. I'm and, so and, glad and, they got back on the same page. I, I get really distressed when Julia and Barnabas are at odds like that because mm-hmm. they are the Abbott and Costello. They are just the, you know, whatever. They are just together, you know. If it, one yeah. cannot be without the other. I mean, they're Sherlock well Holmes and, you know. and, and Well said. You know what I mean? They're they're just this together, you know, and and they, when they're not a cohesive unit, I think all hell goes to loose, go, gets just breaks loose, and I think that the end of the world always happens when Barnabas <laughs> and Julia are not in a cohesive duo. So mm-hmm. I just I just love that. that he told her everything. It's like yes, he's like Barnabas is back. It's like he lost his effing mind there for a while. I can't wait till he figures out Josette has ridden off into the sunset of eternity again. Exactly. But then again, never mind. I, exactly. I speak too soon. No, no, no. <laughs> and you're going to see that again, where Barnabas and Julia split on other stuff and then they come back together on other stuff. And that's the beauty of a chemistry. Yeah, of, well. Of the relationship. Uh, Julia's in love with him. Barnabas feels she is a true friend. And the and that somehow translates to the to the rest of the relationship, which has gone on for so many years, uh, not just in this original uh, rendition, but later on in fan based renditions. And I see Keith now has all the characters in the background. Uh, of course, you fans can't see it, but I see Keith has all the fans in the background that have contributed to Literary License Podcast over the years. And uh, once again, I ask the fans to um, 
I, I once I, once again I ask the fans to vote for the podcast the way we've talked in the past. And while I'm on the subject, and this is not part of I forgot this is not part of uh the particular but the but the demise of Mitchell of Mitchell Ryan as as uh, Mitch uh, as Mitch uh, Mitchell Ryan as uh Burke Devlin is deeply felt by the podcast and he died a few weeks ago and uh, we are not uh ignorant of the fact that he is and may his memory be a blessing he lived uh Unofficially, to almost ninety-three year old. Officially, he's he lived a good long life. That's for sure. He had a great long life, and his and his contribution yeah. to Dark Shadows as Mitchell Devlin will as Mitchell Devlin will also will always be appreciated by the fandom as well as the podcast. With your permission, Keith, and uh, I we unfortunately we never got a chance to interview him. Uh, due to unfortunate, you know, due to conflicts, but I miss him, and I know you guys miss him. I want to one of my faves. I wanted to mention that, Keith. Now let's discuss our best and worst storyline. Starting with you, Vicky, what was your best storyline and your worst storyline of this block? I have to say Quentin's story is my favorite storyline because I just just love David Selby in this these blocks. I think he's I think he's not only comical, but he's got well placed sarcasm, which we all know I appreciate. <laughs> and I just like that that he's just rakishly handsome. That doesn't suck either. But I just like the love story and I like that he's finally met somebody that he actually can be, you know, loving towards. And he's not just thinking of himself anymore. And he's kind of grown up in the last 70 years. So but that that's my favorite story. I can't even say I have a I, I really honestly can't say in this block I have a storyline that I don't like. I can't even say there's anything in this storyline that I have a least like for. I'm trying to think out of it's just such a strong block. Um, maybe the Tate portraits, but even then that didn't suck. But I mean, it wasn't as monumentally exciting as, you know, being in the underworld and things like that. But there's really no bad. There's no downside in these blocks, though. What about yourself, Tom? What's your favorite storyline and your worst storyline of this? block? It's a it's a very tough call. But I am going to say that as far as best, I do think the Leviathan storyline, and I've changed my mind after looking at this again some million years later, uh, in, in that there, that they really tried to break into new ground. Definitely. Regarding a Lovecraft, uh, old issue regarding, you know, the old. No, Lovecraft. Slash Omen slash Rosemary's Baby. They covered it all. They had it all. Yeah. The old ones coming back to Collinwood. 
which even Lovecraft fans who, do, who are not Dark Shadows fans don't appreciate. Really quick before I forget, they don't ever show the monster, do they? No. They okay, do. just wondering. Because I, I keep thinking of a flagellating, overinflated octopus. They just the show. <laughs> That's what... <laughs> Cut it out. And you can ask questions. I will be happy to translate you if you ever ask questions. No, that's true. Next time I have a question for the monster, I'll ask Tom. Absolutely. And we are the only one on literary, literary license podcast to be privileged to interview the Leviathan. He has a standing invitation. But I, I do think that the Leviathan stuff had hidden, had hidden things. Fans were, and they may disagree with me, they were so focused on, will Barnabas be good or will Barnabas be evil, that they really missed, (laughs) excuse my language, that he really missed the other stuff regarding all the nuances that we have discussed regarding the Leviathan. So I think that that, that that's the best. I think that I would, in terms of the worst, I would have liked to have seen more Paul Stott's, Paul Stott's story. I, I, I like, felt so bad for him, though. Yeah. It was making me sad watching him suffer mm-hmm. because, you know, when you're a parent, you just love your kids. And I just it kind of wrings your heart because you they, they actually really do hit um, hit on the, the certain nerves here. So I felt so bad for him through this whole block. This poor man knows something's going on, you know. I would have liked to have seen that develop more. I think yeah. that they killed him off too soon. I, I think they let him go too soon, too. I agree with you. Yeah. I, I think that Dennis Patrick was enough of an actor. And wouldn't he it be, held his own. And wouldn't it be, have been great if he had been able to finally bond with Carolyn after explaining... Well, he did him. bond with her, though. He did, but temporarily. And I would have liked to have seen a permanent thing. After, you know, after I would like to have hypothetically seen him spilling his guts to Carolyn and saying, here I am. Yeah. You, you want me or you leave me. I come back to you. I've sacrificed a lot for you. You need to forgive me and you need to forget me. I would like uh, forget what I've done. And that, of course, would take a process. But I would have definitely liked to have seen it. But unfortunately, this was not in the cards because you will see in the next block or other or, or subsequent blocks, Jeb's influence on Carolyn is too strong. Right. And that would have, that would have killed everything. Mm-hmm. But in a perfect world, I would have liked to have seen. And, and I thought the Paul Sardin story was uh, too, too much, too late, too soon. Mm-hmm. That's my issue. Keith, up to you. My favorite storyline has to be the Leviathan. I'm loving it. I love all the nuances and stuff like this. Um, I yeah, this is one of the strongest blocks we've ever done. Like I can't. That's where I I don't have a worse storyline. I can't think of one. Thing I, I couldn't can't. either. I could not think of anything that and I didn't I'm, like. I'm quite good at finding. I'm quite a negative person, so it's normally quite easy for me to find something I don't like. <laughs> I couldn't <laughs> find anything wrong with this either. I'm, couldn't yeah I so everybody out there that's like, everybody that says they hate leviathan you know you've heard all the rumors don't mm-hmm. listen 
I do think it's probably something that maybe old fans need to rewatch on a second view. I mean, I can With understand. Older eyes. If I was younger, I probably wouldn't have picked up on it, but this time I was like mesmerized. I don't exactly. I don't well, like exactly. I said, because we're older now, we read film and books and we understand and appreciate where the storyline comes from. So it makes a difference in your head after you've progressed a little through life. At 74, my, my mind tends to wander sometimes in some of these episodes only because it's like we're kind of regurgitating a lot or. Sometimes it takes a while for something to go on. I would hate to actually watch this live in the day, though, because if you missed one episode, you could forget it. That's right. That's right. We didn't have VCRs, so no, we did very, very quickly. I mean, and of course, this these segments were on over Christmas between Christmas and New Year as well. So, well, that's why people you know, ran home to watch. Yeah, but you know, at the same time, you also got a lot of stuff that you need to do, like Christmas parties in December. And oh, January, I know, and, I know. And, <laughs> you know, and family coming to visit and all the other stuff, and you know, Hanukkah and all that's going on during all this. True. All, during this block we just covered, so I mean, you know, I, you know, I imagine if you missed something, it could have been. I mean, could have been detrimental if you missed the wrong episodes. Some of this You're stuff telling like, me. Yeah. You're telling me. I went. I had to go up to the country that year uh, because my parents were up there, and I had to go up to the Catskills in New York, um, Kerhansen. And you guys will be familiar with that since you came from. A, from I know what you're talking state. about. And I had to go to Kerhansen, and they did not have, and they didn't have TV, good TV reception. And I was That's up when there you a made month. somebody hang on to it and make him stick his head out the window. Oh my God, I was so depressed at realizing that the signal did not carry uh, from New York to to Kerhansen. So it was only through looking at the. Was that your first attempt at taking your own life? (laughs) (laughs) So I I, I was bereft. And I recently. Obviously, uh, saw the episodes. I uh, saw a couple of them a couple of years ago with my significant other, and I obvi- And then I said, and I saw what they were about. I said, "Damn, you know." And 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 I understood uh, a lot more. And of course, a number of years later, and I think that you have to be a little more mature to see these episodes um, as they as they as they occur. And I think that the Leviathan, and now I think that the Leviathan, which I wouldn't have thought before, but I think that the Leviathan did not get the credit, the proper credit that it was due, only because the fans said, Jonathan for the Zebra, we don't want him. And I felt the same way. But now, many years later, I give the writers the credit, it's, the credit they are due for doing what they tried to do. But they had a long road to hoe in terms of... uh, See, I think the thing that they made Fred Evil was a detriment to the block. If they had made him... If they had kept his sympathy all along, I think it would have... My my opinion, it it would have gone a long way towards more acceptance by the fans. And that's right. Gotcha. I, mean, I looked at him that he was that he was evil because that that there that 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 what's his part of the mystery? What's why is he like this? 
Yeah. And I, thought, I kind of wish that they kind of stuck with that it's a little bit longer. But saying that, I mean, but I think they, you know, they, they bounced out of that quite easily, um, quite, you know, surely that when it got to like, when it got to actually coming a bit too close to his family, who he's always protecting. And then that's what kind of brought his humanity back a little bit. So, but yeah, I, yeah, I like, you know, I thought that was fantastic. Well, now, yeah, uh, we got some more to cover. Let's talk about our favorite character and our worst mm-hmm. character. Starting with you, Tom. Who's your favorite character in this block and your worst character in this block? Favorite character and worst character. Well, I got to say that probably my favorite character would be uh, Selby. Mm-hmm. Because he got back and, uh, you know, and he really, and, and through the strength of David Selby's acting, he was brilliant. I yes. love him in this. Yes. Absolutely no complaint whatsoever. Yes. Hardly Selby. looks at the teleprompter too. I mean, he just had it down. Let but. them let them, you know, you know, give him a break. Uh, no, I the, just I notice when everybody's looking at the teleprompter because you know what? I'm a soap opera watcher and I don't I even, even think they do that anymore. No, I I mean I even knew when uh, uh Mr. Death there uh, looked at the teleprompter. I think I couldn't tell with him. I didn't. I, tell. <laughs> I can always tell when Barnabas is looking at the teleprompter, though. Anybody can always tell when Jonathan is looking at the teleprompter. <laughs> but, I, God, I still love but, him. I don't care. But, you know, but but giving Mister Death a break and looking through the teleprompter, and he really, but but getting back to David Selby, I I, I really think that he firmly established the Quentin character. Even when he didn't remember who he was, you the writers still gave that uh, sarcasm uh, that he that, that that was part of Quentin that he infused yeah. into the storyline. It was very very good. And finally, when he realized what he was, all the fans were rejoicing. Thank goodness we don't have to worry about this. I mean, in my opinion, thank goodness we don't have to worry about this uh, Grant Douglas character anymore. He yeah. knows who he is. He's trying to help uh, Amanda, and he loved her. He truly, truly loved her. Yeah. And uh, he grew up. Yes, he grew up. He grew up, and that is a very good point, Vicky, because we see that growing up we did not see in in eighteen ninety seven. He was a real tick turd in eighteen ninety seven. Oh sure, womanizing meanie. Oh, sure, but his character did change a lot from yeah towards the end. Towards the yeah, end, we, but we saw the whole character arc with him. Yeah, he felt bad when Beth died, and yeah, yeah. Um, honorable mention, um, and I'm honorable mention. I'm thinking to a couple of people. And uh, Clarice Blackburn only came on once as Mrs. Johnson, uh, and, and it really is a heavy. But uh, once again, she she kind of came to the fore. Uh, David Hennessy, uh, in terms of um, in terms of once again taking over that role of being possessed that he you know that he that he definitely did. Um, I am. I'm kind of blank as to the. There are so many good characters. 
in, in into this, and I'm kind of blanking as 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 to who is the worst character. Uh, but I'm thinking that uh, you know it's you know it's 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 really really tough because in this uh, block they all basically did their best and they came to the fore. Um, maybe the guy who played the doctor, uh, if it was in this block in 1897, uh, that, uh, he was a douche. He was kind of, I remember his very few See, I don't know if he was in this block either or not. What are you going to do? There's no one to complain about. There really isn't. What are you going to do? This was, I, I mean, tell you, and, and of course, you know, Chris Svenica's start is just starting out. But starting next block, yeah. I think I'm. I, I think if it, I think I'm going to give him maybe rest in peace. I think I'm going to give him bus because he comes up very Chris Planick, Chris Planick, Planick, Chris Planick comes up very strong mm-hmm. as a Jeb and. Uh, you can see the chemistry between him and Nancy Barrett right away. I mean, they actually look like each other. They're blonde, they're blue, you know, and, and so forth. And Nancy Barrett does a great job, as usual, as usual. Uh, there are people still on Dark on the Dark Shadows websites that are saying, I can't believe that... She memorized her lines the way she did, but she did. She had an eidetic memory. As we know, when we interviewed um, Robert Rodan, may rest in peace, he testified to the fact that this was one woman that came onto the set and knew everything and and do, did her lines perfectly, perfectly. And uh, I would give her honorable mention as her in this block, as a performance of her performance as Carolyn, because she really did a very uh, great supporting job, and then and then Curtis was lucky to have her. So that's my paint. That's my point. On, uh, my take on it, Keith. Your your move. What about your stuff, Vix? What's your favorite character and least favorite character? Absolute favorite character is going to have to be David Selby in this. I just loved how strong he was. The acting was great. I loved how diverse he finally shown himself to be. I, I mean, I just, I just think he was really strong in this. And he's a lot of fun to watch, and he's a lot of fun to listen to. I mean, he's just sarcastic, and that's great. And I really wish I could say that I had a non-favorite person but I, I really can't. The, the only say, I, the only closest thing I could say to not a favorite actor would probably be the bellboy, and that's just because his time was so brief. But other than that, they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're just everybody did so well. Such a strong block. Everybody watched Leviathan. Don't listen to all the critics, you know, especially if you like Lovecraft and The Omen and all this stuff, because it gives a nod to so many good stories, you know. So it's it's excellent. Mm-hmm. My favorite, I'm going to pick Jonathan Frid. I love Jonathan Frid as the evil guy. I think that was so well played. It was just he crazy. was too, yeah. It was something that we haven't seen him done, and I loved it. And then I like 
you know, yeah, um, to me, he really shined. I mean, I, I mean, not, not, I mean, I, I don't have a least favorite at all. I mean, this is the first time since we've started Dark Shadows that I've done a block, which I couldn't find a worse storyline or find a worse actor, and I can't find any of those things in this block. I was actually, I'm actually enthralled. I've gone from Phoenix storyline being my favorite to now this is my favorite. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm trying to reverse gears here, there sort of thing. And yeah, my, I thought Jonathan Frey was bloody brilliant. I thought when he came out at the beginning of this, and you didn't know what was going on. You didn't know what the story was. And there's this evil glint in his eye. And, and he, he could have played it so easily to like, you know, the, the sinister guy with the twirling his mustache, but he doesn't. He underplays the evilness. And there's just, and there's something, and there's a lot going on beneath the surface. And that's what I loved about. Was he taken over or was he, it was just something he did? He didn't like become like a, the the brain dead Leviathan people. He was actually volunteering, right? He was taken over. And, uh, you know. But he, he was strong enough clearly to fight back because he saved Julia. Eventually he was because he realized there were two things. One of which is that even though, and it's a very interesting thing, that even though he still thought that Josette was prisoner right. by Leviathan's, which wasn't true, the the thing that took him over the over the top was when he when they told him to kill Julia, and this tells me what real affection, although he wasn't willing to admit it, that he had for Julia. Right. Well, and shit, she's kept him alive, literally, and going for how many, you know, whatever. Centuries. He realized it. He realized <laughs> it. Enough for me that I think that also changed things as well. When everything's going by the book and Jonathan's evil, but all of a sudden it's like the book is now being rewritten by Michael. And, right. And then all of a sudden it's just like, so therefore the control... Because, you know, Barnabas believes that whatever's happening, it has to be done exactly this way. And if mm-hmm. it does not done exactly this well, way. Well, that's what they tell them. That's what they tell them. He's going to lose Josette. But now it's like, it's not going this way. And now he realizes that he's got wiggle move here. And I and that's, that's, that's what I thought, basically, is that's what gave him, you know, because he doesn't help Julia really until... He realized, isn't that after Maggie gets kidnapped? Mm-hmm. And and then and then you got and then you got what's happening with Philip and Megan. They're supposed to, you know, they're they're messed up there. I mean, they're supposed to be yeah. working as a team. They're not. They're working Those against. Those guys are so, so dysfunctional. And the subtext <laughs> that we haven't mentioned. They're, they're, and this... they're not but they're not dysfunctional because they're a dysfunctional couple. They're dysfunctional because of what's happening within Leviathan. Right. But the subtext that we should mention is that Philip is not happy with what Megan is doing. And Philip keeps fighting her on it. And she's going back and forth and she's saying, well, this is, I love him. I love the, I love the well, kids. Philip's the this only one's what, got common sense because hers has gone clean out the window. She's, a, she's absolutely <laughs> over, the, over the moon. And he is actually saying to her, what's going on here? What did we have? Before we had this start, before this started, we had a happy marriage. Yeah. We had a life. We had a business. 
that was uh, going to make us money. And where the hell are we now? We're yeah. we're we're pampering this. We're pampering this brat, entitled kid, who <laughs> is saying, "I want whatever I want." You know, and is entitled to saying, "Well, I want whatever I want to happen," and I don't care, and I don't care about the book. And I think that's the thing that really breaks this thing, because there, because it, because he is saying, as Michael and then as Jeb, "I'm going to do what I want. I don't care what the book says." Yeah, and that is really a deal breaker for Philip, and it's also a deal breaker for Barnabas, who is saying, "Well, what am I? I mean, what's what's going on here? I can't control this. I can't control this guy. If if this project on the part of the Leviathan is going to succeed, we have to go by what the book says." And the the head cat the head honcho here is saying, "I want to do it my own way." This is a very important point, and I think that uh, this is um, you know this is this it's a great tension. Uh, it's a it's a great source of tension between the characters in the in in the in the series, in that. Um, Megan will do whatever she, whatever is doing for the kids. She's completely obsessed and completely uh, has a. Um, as she a, doesn't have a handle on reality as we know it. Correct, correct. And Barnabas and Philip do Barnabas because he wants to save Julia, but Philip because he realizes that this marriage is going to pot. Uh, and, you know, uh, and and, and, and Megan's whole thing is that is she thinks that Michael is her child, isn't it? A mother's love for her child that no one can stand between them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, so there's that as well. I, not only is she a follower, but I think that she's fooled herself into thinking that she's the mother, and and she never be, got beyond that when he matured to when he matured to Jeb. Who's essentially asking for the same things? Uh, so she's still stuck in the past. Yeah. How and often have we seen that? She's a mother, and she and she's a childless um, mother, isn't she? She's she, yeah. Obviously, she wanted a child, but obviously, Philip and her. Don't, well, Philip's gay, so he's not going to be able to give. Her- <laughs> <laughs> was he? Is he gay? In real, was he gay in real life? Yes, no, Chris Bernard. Or is that your gaydar? Uh? Chris Bernard was gay. Chris Bernard was gay. <laughs> In real life, he was, but his his character is quite effeminate. I have to say, there's like, even the I way I don't he think he's that effeminate at all. Well, he plays such a rogue asshole in Guiding Light. I mean, and he's getting everybody pregnant in the Guiding Light. So <laughs> he did bring <laughs> his manhood back. I'm not talking about the actor. I'm talking about the character. The character is quite effeminate. It seems like it seems like a very asexual couple. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's what I mean. And I mean, you know, when he first shows up and he's wearing that purple, that purple turnout with a little belt around it. It was the trendy thing back then. It was trendy. Uh, The only people who wore that was Carol Brady. I never saw Mike Mike Brady. (laughs) (laughs) And Mike Brady was, and he was the gay one too. Yeah, he was. He was gay too. He never went that far. (laughs) Are you itching for a good story? Laughter among friends, maybe even a mystery or two. Well, you're in luck. Fire Breathing Kittens is a standalone Dungeons & Dragons podcast. 
Each episode is a separate three hour long story, like a movie for your ears, so you can listen to these adventures in any order you like. So, join us on a real play DD quest as we solve mysteries, attempt comedic banter, and enjoy friendship. Fire Breathing Kittens Podcast Fantasy Action Mystery Friendship. Well, that brings us to the end of the Literary License Podcast. Um, next month, our Dark Shadows episodes will be covering episodes 941 to 982, and they will be the episodes February to March 1970. Of course, next week um, is our next month's um, programming, which will be Horror is Art Month, which will be covering Anne Rice's Interview with a Vampire, Book to Screen, and of course, the film directed by Neil Jordan, starring Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt. Our make remake, part of our horror is art, will be covering The Fly from 1958 and the remake from 1988 by David Cronenberg. Help me! And of course, um, our 80s will be two art films of horror, which will be Tony Scott's The Hunger, starring Catherine Deneuve, Susan Sarandon, and David Bowie, and Liquid Sky, which is considered one of the most new wave horror films of the 80s that would win and be aired at the Contemporary Art Museum in Chicago for over three years and win multiple awards. And of course, we'll be after Dark Shadows and um, episodes 941 to 982. So it's good night for myself. Good night, Tom. Good night to both of you. And once again, to the fans out there, I hope you remember us for the Literary License Podcast uh, Brando Awards. Uh, covering uh, the podcast, the Don Briscoe tribute, and at the risk of uh, forcing him to blush again, Keith Chago for best horror host of 2021. Thank you very, very much for listening today. Good night, Vix. Good night, everybody. Take care of each other. And we'll see you next time for Dark Shadows. Um, um, at the end of the month, and make sure you watch, listen to us next week for Interview the Vampire. Bye, everyone.
on the ground What have I done to deserve this damnation? Who knows if you're the one to blame Cause we don't even know your name But you're here now and we've got temptation